Welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are back with a brand new review show. We've been a little lackadaisical with some of the review shows recently, just one thing or another getting in the way. But what we've decided to do is we're going to cover the entire month of January, as well as the last release week of December 2020. Yes, believe it or not, it is 2021 now. And what we will do then is we will get back to our weekly content. That is certainly the aim anyway. So we're going to have a lot of stuff to cover on this podcast. So as always, your host, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Keith. How are you, sir? I am doing well on this uh, this first Monday or the first of February. January's over. Didn't that go quickly? Yes, it really did. Uh, Goddamn. I keep saying it to people, the last year of my life has been simultaneously the quickest and the longest of my life, is how it (laughs) seems. Uh, And I'm also joined by Paddy. How are you keeping, sir? I am very well. It was indeed a very quick January, wasn't it? I've seen a lot of people online saying it was the the longest January ever, but I thought it was by. Yeah, all those those people were in dry January. That's why they said it was so long. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, how, how have you been keeping? How have you been keeping yourselves sane in the month of January anyway? Uh, for me, uh, I mean, these podcasts are always a wee bit of a, a, wee bit of a godsend for me. Uh, just sitting, chatting crap about comic books, you know, uh, really is, a, is just brilliant with you guys, um, for sure. But that i've been doing a wee bit of uh of of tabletop role playing but online with a a bunch of guys that i haven't really sat around a table with and to 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 play dungeons and dragons with and geez about 20 years guys that i know from uni old buddies you know and then of course there's the the glut of the glut of comic books that uh that comes to my door every week uh keeps me out of mischief um so uh so not too bad and some great tv great tv on at the minute um I have been, uh, I know Patty has been watching along as well, uh, watching WandaVision. The first four episodes are have, have dropped over the last three weeks. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, I kind of thought episode one, two, and three were a wee bit, I didn't really know what was going on, but episode four just changed everything. And I, I actually went home at lunchtime on Friday to watch it. Because <laughs> it's short episodes, it's the only benefit of short episodes. I live a five minute drive from work, went home, went upstairs, watched it, came back into work, and straight on the internet to read what everybody thought of it. Ah, uh, great. I mean, it's it's one of those shows, Alan. I know you're not watching it yet, but I would highly recommend it. I mean, it's it is intimately connected to the Marvel universe, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's it's introducing new characters. It's it's casting back to Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, I mean, the, there's a whole lot of theories about what's going on. I'm fairly stuck on what I think's going on, and just the the, I mean, I guess the aesthetic of it uh, is probably has has a lot to thank Tom King for. Certainly in the first three episodes, you know, there's that uh, sitcom sort of American sitcom sort of vibe through the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, but. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think House of M. It's got a lot to it's got a lot to say about House of M. I think that's maybe a lot of the basis of it. But uh, it's all to play for yet. But episode four was a game changer. I seen an article, Keith, that broke down. If you watch to the very end of the credits, it always thanks certain writers per episode. So people have dis- dissected which you know issues. So say issue fifty four of New Avengers mm-hmm. was written by whoever. They would then go, well, that traces it back to that issue. So there seems to be a lot of, and each end of the episode, I never noticed this, the 
camera zooms in at the end of the credits on Vision's eye. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fantastic. I, just, I can't wait to Friday now for, for episode five. five yeah. And I, I hear there's a wee rumor that, uh, that there's actually an extra episode. It's supposed to be nine episodes, but it's going to be 10 episodes. I see that um, there was a, a casting company in America, wasn't it? Put up that one of their clients is appearing in episode five, six, seven, eight, nine on 10. Yeah, but they could they could be wrong, but that's that's certainly where it's coming from. Um, so yeah, less said about that the better until Alan's got to watch. But we're talking about setting up a separate chat <laughs> for the comic <laughs> book chat for the Coffee and Heroes. Just to, just to, and, to and I don't want to be excluded so from that, so I'll definitely have to uh, get <laughs> caught up. Definitely not. Um, the other thing I'm watching is The Stand. There was a remake of Stephen King's The Stand, but I think it's a CBS show that came out late last year. Now. I don't know how familiar you guys are with a lot of Stephen King stuff, or if you've ever read the book, The Stand. Bits and pieces. Stephen King's one of them authors that anytime I've tried to read his books, I give up. The Dark Tower series, I think I got to book three, four maybe, and just went, nope. Interesting. Dark Tower is pretty much my favorite book series of all time, but uh, next to Lord of the Rings. That but, fight uh... is getting closer and closer between you two, <laughs> I can tell you. But... Uh... Anyway, I mean, the, the, the crux of the stand is that there is a global pandemic that wipes out 99% of the world's population. So I can see why whenever this show dropped, it maybe wasn't picked up or, or, or received maybe as well as they had hoped, uh, you know, because that's not really what people were <laughs> were watching at the end too, of last year. Yeah, a bit too close to reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so it starts there and it ends up really in a, in a knockdown drag out battle between good and evil. Um, you know, the, the, the survivors line themselves up behind good or behind evil and and away they go but uh yeah i'm really enjoying the remake uh it's they, they've restructured the story a wee bit there was an original uh, there was a, a mini series made back in 1994 which starred uh gary sinise and rob lowe and uh, you know a few other molly ringwald and a few others um which was really good i really enjoyed this but there's a really good cast in this uh, uh alexander skarsgård is playing um is playing randall flag uh Whoopi goldberg playing mother abigail um, and uh, James Marsden, who was Cyclops in the uh, in the X Men movies, is playing uh, is playing sort of the lead. So it's it's yeah, really good, really enjoying it. Um, and rewatching the Wire as well. Bruno's never seen the Wire, so uh, rewatching ne- the Wire. N- neither have I. Do it, do it. I have, I, mean... I, have tr- I have tried twice, and I think I get the episode two or three. <laughs> And I don't know what it is. It's, you really are hankering it... for a fight, I tell you. <laughs> you're just stepping on every... I, I mean, next you're going to say that, like, a Marvel comic book's the worst comic book you've ever read. <laughs> oh, dear. Would I? Dear. <laughs> but, no, I mean, I can understand, Paddy. The, the Wire is definitely a slow burner of a show, but there is a reason why whenever you see people listing the top shows, yeah. The Wire's always there in the top three or oh, five. I would, I would never say I didn't enjoy it. It's just, it, it didn't grab me, but it, it, it will be watched at some point. I think mm. it's yeah. it's definitely, I started rewatching actually Marvel Phase 1 with Carrie and my 10-year-old niece, who all of it, I have tried for years to get her away from Harry Potter. I'm like, Cloda, I'll get you this, I'll get you that. Finally, got her to sit down and it's just seeing the, the look of excitement on her face. You know, and, <laughs> like, uh, we were watching, and it's Iron Man 2, isn't it? And Natasha Black Widow makes her, her debut. Yeah. And when she's seen that fight scene, you know, when you see her in action for the first time, like my niece got up <laughs> yeah, and scared yeah. of Like, oh, this is, you know, brilliant. So with, with Thor up next, we'll probably get that done at the weekend and then progress through them. But I, I forgot how good Iron Man 2 was. Yeah, good. What about Excuse yourself, me, Alan? sorry, did you just say I forgot how good Iron Man 2 is? 
Yes. Iron Man Two is a true. Oh, no, I'm not gonna start. I'm not gonna start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not you're, gonna start because yeah, there's no point. No point starting. Just casting it when you're wrong. You like, <laughs> do you know my main problem with Iron Man Two? And I'll, I'll just, Stark. I'll just do Tony this. Stark. It's not even Tony Stark. My problem with it was they created a brilliant villain in Whiplash, and then stuck him behind a desk for half the movie. It, it was just such a waste. You know, they created this great menacing villain for Tony Stark. Then he got caught. And he basically got put behind a desk for Justin Hammer. It was such a waste, I thought. Um, but that Monaco Grand Prix sequence is superb. So yeah, you're, not, you're not wrong, actually. I mean, Marvel, Marvel and their MCU and their villains. You know what I mean? It's 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 the thing. Not quite as bad as DC's, but easy tiger. Let's you're, you're about to be cut <laughs> off from this podcast. I tell you. Before before fighting McFighterson starts here, what what are you up to? <laughs> apart from taking notes and everything Paddy said uh, yeah I mean I suppose just going back when you're talking about WandaVision one of the reasons we haven't quite got to it is I've been watching an awful lot of movies this year so far I'm doing a separate podcast sort of a movie a day type thing I've been watching a lot of James Bond recently and Bourne movies and then Six Degrees of Separation type stuff so I'm watching a lot of movies which is maybe taking up a little bit more of my time but it's something I'm really really enjoying but just got to fit TV shows in there somehow but uh, I just wanted to throw out a little bit of love as well. I, I, I've chatted about it before, but I've, certainly ever since the store opened and you meet a lot of like-minded individuals, I've gotten into wrestling a lot more lately and been really enjoying that. And we're recording this on the Monday and it was the Royal Rumble last night. For anyone who knows anything about wrestling, the two events every year you watch without fail are the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. And the Royal Rumble was superb. Apart from one massive botch that they did, uh involving the main title match but the the rumble itself was just a lot of fun Vicky and i sat up and watched it may have annoyed the neighbors a little bit with some shouting at the tv uh some legends from yesteryear came into it and so forth but uh it was just a lot of fun so it was and i, I had to laugh i i have a regular who decided to say to me today you you know it's all fake right and as if i didn't <laughs> know that first of all but second of all uh you know movies and tv shows are not real either but well, uh, it, it's even led to an, a, a new nasty habit of collecting wrestling uh, figures as well. So as if I don't collect enough stuff, but uh -huh. well, you know, that's that. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm all good. I'm I'm focusing a lot in the store at the moment as well. You know, we're we're getting access a couple of days a week, and I I've been as is my want at all times. I'm always looking for ways to improve the store, ways to make it better, easier to navigate, more choice. So uh, I've been reorganizing an awful lot, moving a few things. I've been searching out tons of new stock, new omnibuses, new absolutes, new graphics, new single issues. I have a big massive Batman lot actually coming over from England this week, which is over a thousand issues. So, you know, we're, we're really working hard behind the scenes to make sure that whenever we do get reopened, whether it's going to be in March or it's going to be in October, <laughs> whenever it's going to be, uh, we want to make the place as, as best as it can be. So... Yeah, I'm I'm keeping really busy behind the scenes, so this is this is somewhat I almost see of a of a break when I get to sit down and just chat about comics for two hours and remember why I love the store so much. So uh yeah, no, all good. Really, really can't complain. Um you know, I suppose I'll throw it out there quickly but as well because we were chatting about movies. I know Keith's really excited. Uh, an actual date has been given now for the Snyder Cup being released. <laughs> Listen to the excitement in that man's voice. Uh, March 18th, I believe, for our US friends. Uh, still no concrete um, news on how it's going to be distributed over here. I would imagine it'll be on Skybox Office because they 
have a channel Sky Atlantic, which does all the HBO stuff. So I would imagine that it'll be a case of uh, it'll be on there. So 18th of March, I've already told Vicky to book two days off work to make sure that she can uh, she can watch it all with me because it is four hours long. So you know, and and I mean they backed and forward, they backed and forward about whether it was going to be a like a Four series episodes. or a movie yeah. or, or what? Either way, I was always going to watch it in one sitting. You know, I, I'm I'm curious enough about it that I would watch it in one sitting sort of thing. Again, I go back to it. This is more, I want to watch this out of curiosity more than anything. I don't think it's going to reinvent the wheel. I don't think it's going to be the greatest movie of all time. I just really am curious about it. And the fact that it's going to be four hours long and apparently it's going to contain about five percent of the same footage as the original two-hour movie shows there's a lot of new material to work with there but i mean warner brothers have been very clear about it that this is for the fans and this is not some attempt to restart that you know universe so to speak it's this is very much the the full stop to it and i think they'll move forward with sort of their own contained movies so to speak which i think is a better a better form because marvel have already cornered the market and perfected the shared universe you don't need to try and match them for it, you know. So, but I'm just so curious mm-hmm. about it, and I, I will look forward to it. But I, I'm really interested to see people's opinions on it because I think the people who have hated on it will continue to hate on it. The people who love it will continue to staunchly love it. Um, I'd really be curious to know some objective reviews on it rather than people who have preconceived notions of this is going to be amazing or this is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'll, I'll watch it. Of course, I'll watch it um you know i just it's the principle of the thing i think annoys me more than the you know more than the the actual thing but i mean this this clearly is the way that Zack snyder's career is now going where he's just going to continue to remake movies that he's already made uh <laughs> because what was the story that i saw yesterday about the fact that uh he's uh, releasing a, a remaster of his remaster of batman versus superman well, essentially what that seems to be is they shot the whole movie in IMAX or most of the movie in IMAX and they're going to do a remastered version which will actually open up the frame a lot more. It sounds like a minor little thing, but it actually will make a huge difference. If you think of... The, the best example I can give of IMAX format has always been Christopher Nolan. The, the guy perfected it in the Dark Knight movies. And the opening bank heist, for example, in the Dark Knight is shot in IMAX. And if you're watching it at home and you have a widescreen TV imax will fill that screen imax format whereas once the that sequence is over nolan always did it in sequences which was good because it wasn't so jarring but as soon as that sequence is over you go back to what we've got used to the traditional black bars top and bottom of the screen so essentially what snyder has done for this remaster is he's removed those black bars and filled the screen with the image i'm curious about it again i'm i'm an unapologetic bvs fan so i'll i'll certainly pick it up um I don't think there. I didn't think there was any massive clamoring for it. I mean, the the announcement about it did actually catch me out of sort of catch me off guard a little bit. But I suppose it makes sense to try and maximize the excitement around the the Cup for Justice League. You know why not? But I in our little group chat, I did notice uh, Keith say this man's becoming a parody of himself, which amused me no end because just ignore it. You know what I mean? If you're not interested, just ignore it. Life's too interested. short. Life's too short. I am interested in, in in movies and the you know the future of movies and the way movies are are going and and made and you know I I guess I guess I was thinking, is it a case of he's run out of original stuff to do and he's spent all his time now? 
I don't think so because he's working on Netflix a lot. He's I I don't know if you remember the remake he did of Dawn of the Dead, which was oh, actually brilliant. exceptionally Absolutely great. Absolutely phenomenal. So he's doing a sequel to that called Army of the Dead, which is finished filming. It's going to come out on Netflix. I don't think Snyder is uh, you know stuck for work. I just. I almost think that he just sees those movies as such a missed opportunity because he was basically mm-hmm. handed the keys to the kingdom. He was, yeah. And then given full control, but then that control was taken away from him. And, you know, maybe he just sees it as unfinished business. I don't know, maybe. And, and this is a big maybe, but maybe once he releases these two, you know, the remastered format and this sort of, you know, Snyder cut, hopefully he'll put a full stop and just be like, right, time to move on. Moving you know, on, yeah. You know, yeah, I've absolutely. done everything I wanted to do. Time to move on, but... Yeah, it's uh, but I'm very much looking forward mm. to that Snyder cut. I have to say, but he is a, he's very much a polarizing figure. I think mm. you like him or you don't. That uh, I mean, Dawn of the Dead to me is the best, is the best of his, his catalog. I, mm-hmm. I thought that was a fantastic movie. It was so good. It was a, a genuinely loving remake of of the you know the classic. The you know so, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see Army of the Dead as well. Sure. I mean, on the opposite end of, you know, Army of the Dead and horror and adult material, we had a trailer for a new Mighty Ducks TV show. Who saw this coming? And why are we so excited about it? Well, I mean, i got to say I'm not. Uh, I... <laughs> well, you were in that enthusiasm quickly. That was that was very well done. <laughs> I know you are. I know you're a bit of a Mighty Ducks fan, you know. And, you know, it was, I don't know, it just wasn't a movie that, again, maybe it was the edge I was or maybe, I don't know, but it just never... It never meant enough. It was to a me. trilogy of movies, Keith. A trilogy. Uh, that was the Milo Estefez ice hockey one, wasn't it? It was, yeah. No, I, I don't. It just reminds me of being a kid. I loved the Mighty Ducks when mm-hmm. it first came out. I think I, what was it, ninety three? Maybe it came out. So I would have been about ten, just the perfect age, you know. Maybe you were too cool. You were hitting teenage years at that point, Keith. Probably, so yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I'm well known for being cool. Like, yeah. I mean, if you go back to Mighty Ducks, the there's a I don't know if you remember the movie well, but or or at all, I suppose. But there's one character in it who can hit a puck really, really hard. That's the guy who plays Foggy in Daredevil. Ah, there so you there are. is a link to Marvel, but yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's this TV show coming out, and I, I don't know, it just looks it looks nostalgic in the same way that Cobra Kai is nostalgic. It just yeah, it's okay. not going to reinvent the wheel. It's not going to you know change the landscape of television, but it's going to be you know like that warm nostalgic hug if it's done well. So I'm looking forward to it. How about you, Patty? Surely you're on my side here. I mean, clearly that man just doesn't give a puck. Hey, I thought the trailer was a a, a quacker. <laughs> Oh dear, this is getting worse. <laughs> this is going downhill fast. <laughs> no, again, it, it's something like you said, Alan. It'll, it'll be good to kind of watch, check in, and you know, get that. It just makes me wonder what's next. You know, we've had Cobra Kai, we've had Mighty Ducks. Well, I mean, for me, the much more exciting Emilio Estevez announcement or rumor was a potential sequel to Young Guns Two. Uh, you know, I mean, if we're talking Emilio Estevez and we're talking TV, Young Guns is the highlight. So uh, to see to see any continuation of that universe is just right up my street. Could just imagine you as a teenager singing into the mirror, "I'm a cowboy." <laughs> Mount up, regulators. God, I really have started something here. It's a good quiz question. That is uh, came up in a quiz one night. Is who who performed it? And everybody automatically, you know, Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi. But it's actually John Bon Jovi. Yeah, it was a solo one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. See, we would have all got that right. Uh, yeah, so just one last thing uh, we obviously had a note on. This is something you certainly know a bit more about, Keith, because I saw you sort of tweeting about it, this X-Men team vote. What's what's this all about? 
Yeah, so I guess it was uh, it was X Men uh, number. Ooh, uh, I think it was. I think it was not fifteen. It was sixteen. It was certainly the one before the last issue. Uh, the story, sort of, the end of the story was that the X Men, because in, in Hickman's universe, they're having within the X Men title, it's been following Krakoa. You know, generally the island, and you know, there's been a lot of Scott stuff and, and a lot of Gene and magic stuff. You know, but. At the end, Scott decided that he was he was going to remain one of the the, the captain commanders of the of Krakoan, the Krakoan, you know, defense. But he was going to restart the X Men as effectively an outreach team, uh, a team to protect the world, both humans and mutants from, you know, from 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 all sorts of dangers. And he's going to do it. He's going to recreate the X Men, the team, in a democratic way. So there's a vote. There's going to be a, a vote on Krakoa. About you know who the who the members of the X Men would be, uh, but what Marvel have done is they have they have expanded it into the real world and uh, on the the Marvel website they've put up a, a vote uh, so you can vote for who one member of the X Men is going to be. So one member of the X Men is going to be a public vote. So I love this. This casts back to whenever they had the public vote for whether or not you know Jason Todd as Robin should die or not die or you know a little less bloodlusty uh, than that yeah yeah or maybe maybe a wee bit more like Marvel versus DC whenever readers could vote for who was which who was going to win you know uh but uh, and actually the vote actually closes tomorrow the 2nd of February at uh, 12 midnight uh, eastern standard time so I don't know uh, when we'll get this podcast up. This will be out. This will be out in the second of February in the morning. We we, we got to give people a chance okay. to vote here. Who who did you throw your weight behind? Well, there were there were uh, there were ten options, uh, and those options, you know, there was Banshee was in there, and I know Declan Shelby was throwing his weight behind Banshee, who is of course the the Irish mutant. Uh, Sunspot was in there. Armor, Boom Boom, Tempo, Cannonball. Mine, uh, my vote went for Strong Guy. Guido Caracella, the former member of uh, of the X Factor, who absorbs kinetic energy and you know puts it back, adds it to his own strength. But uh, but unfortunately, the early early projections at this stage seem to show that Strong Guy is uh, he's bringing up the rear with a a five point ten percent of the vote, sitting at the top with twenty two point two percent of the vote is Polaris, with Banshee coming in a, a slightly distant second with fourteen point six percent of the vote. Uh, so I don't know, maybe maybe some of our listeners need to get in and get uh, get Banshee's numbers up a wee bit. So it's it's Polaris, Banshee, and Sunspot are sitting in the top three spots uh, just at the minute. So yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fun. <laughs> it makes you wonder what sort of you know story that character will have going forward if they're leaving it up to the public vote. You know, surely they're going to know what storyline they want for each character rather than going right. So with ten possibilities here. You're so cynical. You're so cynical. Did he just slot them in? You know, it's come on. I mean, they were able to turn around the tie-ins, the Empire, and put them into Keenan Black. They, they know what they're doing. They know. Very what they're true. Doing. Very true. <laughs> yeah, they very much know what they're doing there. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. Jump on and get voting for that. As as Keith says, it's a nice bit of fun. It's a nice way of the sort of the creators and the fans coming together as as one and getting the fans involved and so forth. And again, it shows I think that how unique the comic industry is so it's uh, that that sort of divide between fans and creators is is so small you know and they're always interacting with the fans so yeah it's a fun little thing so i remember a tv show done a two pence of lager and a packet of crisps i think it was season five or six maybe johnny got shot at the end of the episode and they put it out to the public whether he he lived or died 
Keep in mind, Keith, this man won't watch The Wire, but he remembers <laughs> the last episode of season five of Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps. You're doing myself no favors here, Anna. <laughs> anyway, we're going to move. Maybe we should see if he does any better with comics, Alan. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, we're going to move on to the comics. So we're we're going to have a slightly different format this time. You know, we don't want to, as much as we could sit, and believe me, we could sit and chat about comics for six hours straight uh, to cover the last five weeks. We're we're going to strip it down a little bit more than, than usual, but we'll be back to our normal format with the weekly stuff. But we're going to look at each week. We're going to look at, you know, how many titles we all had as usual, you know, break it down in the DC, Marvel, Indie. We'll all have that one pick of the week that we'll go into great detail on. But instead of sort of going into loads of detail and honourable mentions, we'll just tell you certain titles that stood out for us and, you know, at, at most a very brief sort of uh, reason why. But it's just to keep it down a little bit because we have a lot of comics to get through here and a lot of quality. I mean, I have five pages of notes alone, just so you know we prepare for this podcast. So <laughs> we're going to go right back to the 30th of December. So 30th of December was a week in which I had 18 titles in total. And it was a very sort of indie heavy week. So it was I had four DC, four Marvel and 10 indie. Uh, what about you, Patty? What were your numbers there? I had a quiet week. I only had seven, three DC, two Marvel, two indie. Amongst that Marvel was the worst issue of any comic I've ever read in my short tenure of reading comics. We're all about positivity here, Paddy, not negativity. Okay, it was brilliant. <laughs> and how about you, Keith? What were your numbers? Uh, I was a wee bit in between you guys. Uh, I had 10 titles. It was a, a really weird balance for me. It was one DC, one indie, and eight Marvel. But then it was the 30th of December. So, you know, that was whenever Marvel released all their books and, you know, that had, hadn't been released the week before. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, 10 titles in total for me on the 30th of December just to round out uh, 2020. Yeah, it was an interesting one. So it was, it was, we, we got our delivery, I think, that time on like the 3rd or 4th of January, and it essentially contained the titles from the 30th and from the first week in January. But yeah, I mean, with regards to sort of titles that I sort of enjoyed, you know, DC did a one shot for Ginny Hex, which I actually really enjoyed. It was written by uh, Magdalene Visaggio with art by Gleb Melnikov, who's going to be the artist on the upcoming Robin series with Joshua Williamson. And it was just a wee one-shot uh, which focused on Ginny Hex, who's essentially uh, a younger descendant from you know Jonah Hex. Really, really good you know, gunslinging type stuff, some good sci-fi stuff in there as well. And just a really, really interesting wee one-shot. Um, Marvel-wise, I mean, nothing massively stood out for me, but you know, as a retailer, it was certainly very interesting dealing with Amazing Spider-Man 55 that week. It was a, uh, it's a beautiful cover. It's a, it's a Patrick Gleason almost X-ray of Spider-Man's head, but it's all made up of web as opposed to you know, a traditional X-ray sort of style. But it also has like a spider on the brain sort of thing. A really, really cool cover. I uh, was going for silly money really quickly. I think it's up as far as a third print now. I wouldn't be surprised if this reaches five and six prints with just different colors. You know, we're we're recording this, as I say, Monday, 1st of February. You know, I've got the second prints coming this week, which is a, a red Spider-Man with a black background, whereas the first print was a white uh, Spider-Man with a black background. I mean, I think it's great to see artists recognized. I mean, Patrick Gleason is a, is a fantastic artist. He's doing great work. He's doing fantastic work on, on, on Amazing. And it was a lovely cover. And if you notice, he actually managed to squeeze his name, Pat, in there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a good look at it. And I mean, it'd be really interested to see what the original art is going for. 
Uh, never mind. Scary you know, money. Book yeah, I would say, I would say. But again, you know, this is this is you know speculation. This is folk grabbing five and six copies for themselves. So, you know, you've seen it all over the Facebook sites. People grabbing five copies just to have them. Come on, don't be a dickhead. You know, it's uh, so that I mean that's that's the reason for it. There was a fantastic issue of Last Remains actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it, it's an interesting one. It always goes back to that point, as I say. You know, we've talked about it at length before: speculators versus readers. And I suppose in a weird way, you know, we had this when we chatted to Drew and David, the creators of Canto. You know, they they kind of like speculators as well because ultimately it drives sales. You know, one way or another. So. Uh, it's it's a di- difficult one, but I just always hate the idea of a reader missing out on that issue because you know speculators grab them all. But, exactly. But yeah, a couple of others that stood out for me were a couple of indie titles. Obviously, I had a heavy indie week. Great title called Bad Mother. It's from AWA um, Studios, who which is an imprint I love. This was the last issue of a five issue mini written by Krista Faust and art by Mike Diodato Jr. Industry legend really solid ending to this it was essentially all about a uh, young girl who was kidnapped and the lengths her mother who is essentially just like a you know don't be suburban mom it's all about that strength you'll find within yourself when your child is put in danger so it was a really really good wee five issue mini and then i really love neil bider returns as well i push it all the time number eight came out this week uh just a really great joshua williamson title mike henderson on art serial killer story tons of dark humor just a really class read and it's about seven trades deep at this point so there's tons to sink your your teeth into but for me it will surprise absolutely nobody that my pick of the week was a batman title what we had here was the batman annual number five so batman annuals for me have been standouts for the last couple of years you know they were really good through tom Keane's run uh this is the first through tinian's run there was a great one done by uh, tom taylor as well which was all about Alfred, it was called Father's Day, but this Batman annual is slightly different in that it actually uh, coincides with the story that Tinian's doing at the moment. So the issue takes place after the last encounter Batman had with Ghostmaker and it has Clown Hunter crossing paths with longtime Gotham stalwart Leslie Tompkins. You know, there's a lot of time spent developing this relationship as well as showing us how Bao became Clown Hunter. The first thing I want to say about this issue is it is absolutely beautiful. I'm a big, big fan of uh, James Stokoe, who is on art. And the art in this is worth the price of admission alone. His art style is somewhere between classic comic and manga, you know, quite over the top. It's highly stylized and always has beautiful, unique coloring. So it kicks off with with a great opening scene, which is wonderful as Leslie's importance and reputation is underlined. There's an attempting mugging on her. And she's not saved by Batman, but by a local neighborhood heavy called Big Henry. You know, there's you know, there's this mugger who's trying to, you know, get everything off her, and this shadow just comes up behind him, and it's Big Henry there. He basically explains to the mugger that Leslie has saved so many in the district via her free clinic, and the mugger's scared off and Leslie heads in. In there she hears a crash and finds the wounded clown hunter who tells her that Batman always said to come to this clinic if he needed help. When it comes to the story, I think there's lots of interesting themes at play here. You know, Clown Hunter is he's losing faith in the justice system and in Batman in general, which is an interesting idea, I think, because Batman always thinks he's doing the right thing, but he never thinks about how he's perceived. And given that this takes place after the events of Joker War and, and Batman will always refuse to take that extra step, it's interesting to see how like other people view him and his actions. You know, Leslie sees this almost as a second chance because she's been trying to get through to Bruce for decades, you know, has never fully gotten through. 
And here she's able to actually get Bao to open up and explain what happened in his past to lead him down this dark path. His origin actually is actually very, very close to Bruce's. You know, instead of a chance mugging, though, it is the Joker making an impromptu visit to Bao's parents' restaurant. They do everything they can to please him, but this being the Joker, he kills them anyway for his own amusement. It's therefore understandable to see how this drove Bao over the edge and to a point where he saw only violence as the answer, especially once the Joker War starts and, you know, Batman's nowhere to be found for, for most of it. We also understand this feelings. you know, they've always had this opposition between Bao and Harley the whole way through Tinian's run, which is really interesting. And you understand this more now because Harley was actually present the night his parents are killed. There's lots of nice touches to the past in here, including Leslie coming across Clown Hunter in Crime Alley, which clearly just seems to attract traumatized souls. Just the appearance of Leslie alone is most welcome. You know, she's always on hand to provide wisdom and experience in a rotten city. And she, similar to Bruce, is always trying to better the city, but just, you know, in a totally different way. Batman appears at the end, you know, he, he thanks Leslie for getting through to Bao, as this is something he's found difficult himself. Thought it was a wonderful one-shot story, you know, beautiful, beautiful art, I can't say that enough. And it fulfills the job completely that, for me, any, any good annual should do. And uh, I am not the only one on this, I believe. What were your takes on it, guys? Go ahead, Paddy. I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, as you said about the art, I thought the art was brilliant. However, I didn't like a drawn of Batman. Just thought it, it, it looked very, very strange. But yeah, Clown Hunter, it's a, a character I spoke about very highly before on this podcast. I think he's absolutely brilliant. The backstory just added so much more to it. Uh, be interesting to see where he goes as a character. Is that him done, or is there is there future plans in line for him? But yeah, this for me would have been, you know, if not for my pick of the week, this would have been a very, very close second. Um, I mean, I, you know, my feelings on Clown Hunter up until now have not been particularly positive. I'm just, I'm just not a huge fan of these characters that I sort of kind of go, well, this is a. This is a bit character, and they're being accelerated to the front, and they're going to make a mini series out of it, or they're going to make a an ongoing series out of it, or whatever. But I have to say, this uh, this issue really, really turned me around in Clown Hunter, and it's just it's understanding his backstory, it's it's Tynan going to the going to the trouble of giving him a, an understandable, sympathetic backstory. Um, I I mean, I think that that I mean. Exactly as you say about Stokoe's Stokoe's uh, art, it's definitely stylized. There's parts of it, especially Big Henry, that reminds me of uh, like the, the the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, something like that, um, for sure. And with regard to how he draws Batman, because Batman is for the most part seen through uh, Bow's eyes, I can understand why he's stylized mm. the way he is. You know. Um, but uh, yeah, it made him it made him into a character that I mean you don't necessarily have to like, but at least you can you can sympathise with or empathise with. Um, so yeah, uh, I really really enjoyed this, really enjoyed it, and I liked the way it, it tied directly into into what uh, you know the, the main story. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it was a really good one shot just in its own right. You know that you could pick up and read and enjoy, but uh, you know the the other thing is the fact that it ties in so nicely. I think is really really well done as well. So yeah, just I thought it was. Great, great issue, I have to say. And uh, yeah, definitely my pick of the week for the 30th of December. So how about yourself, Paddy? Then you were saying that this could have been your pick of the week if it hadn't been for your actual pick of the week, which was? Canto and the Hollow Man 2. Canto 2, the Hollow Man issue 4. 
Uh, probably the best issue so far for me of the entire Kanto run. Uh, picks up at the end of episode three where Veretta died and Kanto urges Falco to take the others back on the Arcadia. I think the reason this issue stood out so well for me was because Kanto's on his own as the only the only robot, the only, you know, for me, as good as it was for him to have company, I like it when it's just him, when he's the centre of the story. Uh, yeah, so he's alone without his companions for the first time in his quest to find a cure for his people's slowing clocks. Before him stands a great status of stirs that he must descend. But without the help of his friends, will he be strong enough for what awaits at the top? Uh, there was a flashback to some characters we met in the first run, I believe. The the Guardians of Dis, who Kanto tricked previously. Bit of a, a, a roller coaster, really well illustrated journey with them. Uh, also, when he's at the Yellow Mountain, there's the, the Guardian, the Guardians of the Yellow Mountain. I thought that was absolutely fantastically done. Reminded me a wee bit of the, the Weeping Angels out of Doctor Who. You know, he's warned not to look behind him, but every time the, the panels move on to them, they're in a different position. And then there's an absolutely brilliant shot at the end where they're all kind of huddled together. But yeah, me too, he gets to speaking to kind of the princess and she fades and reforms as a human and he recognizes her as the princess from the night stories. He asks her for the magic to save his people, but she cannot give them to him. He must take it and he must leave his own heart there taking a shrouded man's heart instead. So ultimately, he'll get the magic the shrouded man has, and he'll be able to, to save his people, but he will, in fact, die himself. Which we know won't happen, because they've just announced that another three Kanto stories. But yeah, for me, this was, I said, at the standard issue of the week, the standard issue of of Kanto's entire run. Just a well-illustrated, well-drawn story and at the end you know there's there's absolutely you have no doubt that that he will he will make that sacrifice you know he's just got that that selfishness about him as a character where he'll you know he'll gladly sacrifice himself to save his people so i'm really interested issue five is the last issue is that right or is there a six no just five issues it's, five. it's six if you include the the one shot that we had which yep. yeah but yeah absolutely brilliant issue yeah, I mean it's a, it's a, obviously it's a favorite of long time favorite of the pod. You know, we mm. it's it's a series that we followed since its its inception. You know, obviously chatting with the creators and so forth. There's been a three issue mini series announced, which is Canto in the City of Giants, which is going to kick off, I believe, in March as well, or is it April? It might be April actually. I beg your pardon. Yeah, it was it was previewed in the last previews uh, we put out there last. We last we week. we recorded our last two previews so close together that there's just a to little tell. bit I of know, overlap there. Uh, and I mean, I think the the guys have got to the point now, you know, with the original series and the one shot, and then you know, being so far into this series, they're they're able to to start really forming a a universe and be a lot more self referential You know, the 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 two giants coming back, you know, was just they're really starting to build a larger a larger tapestry here. That mm -hmm. uh, and and because we've read it all, we're able to go, oh yeah, right you know. So you start to feel really part of it. You start to feel that there's more to the world than than just what's going on uh but yeah great great stuff great stuff um yeah big 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 favorite and uh i'll uh, refer you back to your interview with uh with the creators uh some months back and then what about yourself keith what stood out for you the most on the 30th of december yeah 30th was as i say it was a, a an odd one you know marvel had a lot of stuff uh a lot of stuff sort of coming out um 
you know, that hadn't been out, you know, that was delayed, I think. But uh, Ghost Rider, Return of Vengeance. So we saw the return of uh, a classic Hard Mackey and uh, Javier Salter's character uh, from Ghost Rider. Uh, you know, he was at the time that, you know, um, a lot of characters, you know, had been had been made darker or whatever, you know, at the time in the 90s. Vengeance came about and he was a, a different version of the Spirit of Vengeance. So and it was by the original creative team. Very enjoyable. Um, I really enjoyed that uh, that amazing Spider-Man 55 and that we talked about with a lovely cover. Last Remains, we'll not go into it. I don't want to spoil anything. X-Men 16, as we mentioned, that was the issue that ended with the, the vote. And, uh, you know, it's it's really the, the X stuff coming out of the back of X of Swords and uh, and really starting to, to get to get back into what they, they do best. And I guess, Paddy, uh, this worst issue you've ever read uh, was a King and Black crossover, Iron Man. Uh, and Doctor Doom. Well, you, you say a crossover. There was nothing impacted King and Black at all. It was Iron Man and Doctor Doom versus Santa Claus would be the way I would I would describe it. Was it. Definitely a Christmas issue, wasn't it? Yeah. And do you not like Christmas parties? I, lo- I love Christmas. I love Christmas in December. You passing your Grinch mantle over to someone else, are you? Uh, but for me, you had two strong characters there. You had Iron Man and Doctor Doom, and they just absolutely wasted it. You know, they had them fighting a, a nullified Santa Claus, who then at the end of the issue they believe was Santa Claus. Yeah, it's just it was just a massive disappointment. I waited every t- every page turn. I just got more and more disappointed, and then could Claus be a sorcerer maybe, supreme? Oh. There's maybe something you're missing a wee bit, Paddy, and that's the fact that it was written by uh, Christopher Cantwell, who has who has written Iron Man and has written. Doctor Doom, uh, in, in their separate series, and uh, he, there was a lot of reference back to whenever, uh, whenever Doctor Doom in the last run of Iron Man was actually Iron Man, wherever he became the he became Iron Man and, and took up the mantle. So there was a lot of referential chat to that, which I really really enjoyed. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's uh, that's neither here nor there because uh, the book that really stood out for me. Um, and, and on the 30th of December was Wolverine number eight, which was the legacy issue 350. Um, if you're if you're keeping count, so celebrating 300 issues of, of Wolverine's solo adventures. So this was a it was a chunky issue. Um, both there was two stories in it, uh, both by the fantastic Benjamin Percy, who's been doing the God the Lord's work on uh, on Wolverine, you know, for for these eight issues. Uh, one of the stories was by Adam. Was, was drawn by Adam Kubert. The other one was by Victor Bogdanovich. Um, so it just, it was great stuff. Uh, in the first story, you've got two old soldiers, Wolverine and, and uh, Jeff Bannister, who's a, a CIA agent that Wolverine's been working with over these eight issues, really just uh, sitting, having a beer and and talking about, I guess, what, you know, their, their histories, you know, their, you know, their, the things they've done, the choices they've made. And where it's left them, you know, uh, and that then segues into what seems to be the, the the prologue for the next arc of Wolverine. And someone is is making moves on Wolverine's old Team X. That was the team that he was in with Sabretooth and with with Maverick. And Wolverine picks up the scent of his old companion, uh, who was the the mutant known as as Maverick. And uh, you know, it just it just goes from there. There's there are. I guess there are a group of paramilitary soldiers who are snooping into the team, the past of Team X, and uh, and as I say, stealing artifacts and stuff. Wolverine tracks them down, but 
I mean, Benjamin Percy is really, he's absolutely nailing it on Wolverine. And Wolverine, I would say, has, I mean, I don't know if either of you guys are on this. I'm not, but after the way you described it in the preview, I really interested in that storyline about vampires requiring yeah. blood, you know. And I mean, it seems to be moving on a wee bit from this, but but I think Wolverine has consistently been one of the strongest of the X books since since the Hickman relaunch. You know, it's it's been it's been it's consistent. And I guess the problem with Wolverine, as with a number of other characters, you know, across the big two, especially, he's constantly at risk from overexposure. You know, from from the nineties onwards. But what Benjamin Percy is doing is he's telling like a real Wolverine story. He's casting back to all of those things that that just make Wolverine Wolverine, but not overdoing it. You know, not like the way they were overdoing Wolverine whenever the first X Men movie came out. You know that sort of stuff. And you know, he, he, all of those elements—the lone wolf, the mysterious past, the screwed up memory—and in this uh, Madripoor and the return of Wolverine's alias. Uh, the, uh, the the smooth, suave secret agent known as Patch. Uh, but, I mean, Wolverine does so much to, I mean, to this issue does so much to honour Wolverine's legacy and his history and remind us about all those things that are absolutely the reason that you love Wolverine. And it also sets up what looks like a new story arc that ties into a whole lot of different elements of of Wolverine's past, uh, you know, all of those bits and pieces, Madripoor and Patch and Team X. And you see for how good this issue was, issue eight was, issue nine was even better. <laughs> it, was, it was phenomenal. So, I mean, issue eight, really good jumping on point, I would say, uh, if you were looking to if you were looking to jump on Wolverine. I guess they'll probably collect the first seven issues as, uh, as trade, you know, or whatever. But uh, I would get on Wolverine at issue eight because uh, issue nine is well, well worth it. That's uh, Wolverine number eight. That's Legacy number 350 by Benjamin Percy, Adam Kubert, whose art is just lovely, uh, and Victor Bogdanovich, who's the regular artist on, on Wolverine and just doing doing lovely, lovely stuff. Yeah, the thing is, I mean, Wolverine is, uh, in Vicky's taste to what Batman is a man, you know, she has a run of Wolverine going back 10, 20, 30 years, so she's constantly trying to get me to uh, read it. The only only Wolverine I can say that I read and really, really enjoyed. There was a four-issue mini Frank Miller did years ago, which I was a big, big fan of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I remember it. So that that would be... I, I don't have much more exposure beyond that, beyond, you know, as you say, I'm dipping in and out of other titles. Yeah, so. I mean, this go go for this. Pick up those last seven issues, Alan, and then you'd be doing yourself a favor. <laughs> well, you've you've been right before, so, you know. I'll give you that. <laughs> so, yeah, so that pretty much wraps up then the 30th of December. So we're steaming head first then into 2021 now. So, as I say, we, we got a delivery this week and, and it was both releases, uh, both release weeks all in one. But this definitely felt more like a proper release week. You know, the numbers were definitely oh, yes. higher here. Uh, I had a very, very even split this week. I had 23 titles in total, uh, which included 8 DC eight marvel and seven indie so a nice uh, even split there what about you patty what were your numbers for the 6th of january me 14 titles three dc eight marvel and three indie but what a week and then what we... a way to start the year and then yourself keith you you actually beat me this week i did i was just <laughs> going to say normally we're within a title or two of each other you know where we're sitting equal but uh but january 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I beat you by two. Uh, I had 26 titles total. Uh, and again, this was another Marvel, big Marvel week as they were sort of catching up. Uh, so I had six DC, I had 13 Marvel, and I had seven indie. Cool, cool. So... Yeah, I mean, it was it was a big week for me, certainly as a as a DC fan, the first week in January, because you had the culmination of Death Metal, so uh, with number seven, which I was really, really pleased with. I thought it was an excellently put together issue. I thought the art was stellar the whole way through it. I, I can see sort of the plans being set up for where the DC universe was going on from. Uh, there's, there's a part of me might actually just maybe get a wee separate podcast going where we might actually jump into death metal and just to sort of um, set people up for where DC is going to go with Infinite Frontier. But suffice to say, I was really impressed with how metal ended. And then the same week as metal ended, you also had uh, DC's new uh, sort of event launching, which was Future State. And I have to admit, going into Future State, I have spoken to people about it before. It, it was just going to be a Kaishin event. It was... The, the Aishas basically of Dan Dio's attempt to do, you know, the fifth generation relaunch. And it, it almost came to me that it was, uh, it was essentially, well, we've already paid these artists, already paid these writers. They've already done a lot of this work. Let's just release it as a two-month event and then go back to normal, so to speak. But I've been really, really impressed with Future State so far. And we'll, we'll certainly get into some of the other titles as, as we'll go through the pod. But, you know, this week it launched with Harley Quinn, number one, Superman of Metropolis, number one, Swamp Thing, Flash, the next Batman, and Wonder Woman. And I'm on all these titles. You know, the Bat books probably sit out the best for me so far, but it's been really solid across the board. Harley Quinn was surprisingly great. Uh, I really enjoyed Swamp Thing as well. Uh, the next Batman was a, was a really, really good one as well. So I, I've really enjoyed the kickoff to Future State. And... Then, as if it's not confused enough, what DC are doing, they also did this one, Generation Shattered, uh, which was a I really mean, cool one-shot all about their history. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I totally agree with you. Death Metal Seven was 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 a pretty awesome end to to Death Metal. I mean, I sort of got me got me head right with it about six, just in time for seven. Um, you know, and and I, I, I like what they've done. I think I'm liking what they've done, and I'm really liking Future State. Uh, I mean, there's some really good stuff, as you say. Swamp Thing was was standout in that first week. Uh, next, Batman is is okay. I'm sort of, you know, one of the Batman titles is stronger than the other. I think. Oh, definitely, and, definitely. You know, uh, yeah, for sure. But uh, Justice League was a wee bit of a disappointment, um, but uh, more than made up for by by a number of the other the other Future State titles. So good job. But Generation Shattered, yeah, that was an interesting one. Yeah. Bit of a Almost a throwback or something, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was a, a find the MacGuffin, but the MacGuffin happened to be a, a team that they're assembling throughout the from throughout the ages in order to do a thing. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's it a read bit, really well. I thought it did. It really, it's a wee bit confusing coming out the same week as Future State. Yeah, definitely. And you know, so but uh, but I think they have something here that they want to put out, and I guess it's the first of two or three, isn't it? Yeah, no, we had Generation Shattered, obviously the one we're chatting about. There's one called Generations Forged coming out as well, so. There's there's definitely more more legs to that story as well. So, um, so yeah, it was a it was a really strong week for DC. I thought with with the Future State stuff and Generation Shattered Metal as well. You know, Marvel wise, I thought Venom was very very strong. Number thirty two, Venom strong mm-hmm. every month. Let's be honest. Uh, or every couple of weeks at the moment, as it's it's hip deep in Keenan Black. A lot of Keenan Black tie-ins this week as well, Keith. I know that there are a few of them you were you were reading. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm really enjoying uh, Symbiote Spider-Man, which is a it's a flashback King and Black tie-in. So it's uh, the Symbiote Spider-Man by uh, it's Peter David, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, is writing those, and this is a it's a flashback to whenever Spidey first had the black costume and some stuff that's happening there. It involves it involves Kang and it involves Rocket Raccoon and it also involves uh, the 80s Captain Marvel. There's a wee uh, a wee a wee uh, a nod there for uh, for a show we've been watching, Patty, and uh, oh. which you may not have seen it, but uh, spoilers. Uh, and also <laughs> no spoilies. And also the Black Knight, who, as you know, is going to be under Cy Spurrier's control in the next couple of months. So some great stuff there. Return of the Valkyries is just about, I mean, anything that has Jason Aaron, uh, you know, and, uh, and and the team behind Jane Foster Valkyrie on another series. Just so Return of the Valkyries number one came out as Jane Foster tries to escort the Sentry soul to, uh, to Valhalla and uh, what happens along the way. Uh, so yeah, there's a couple of really good King and Black tie-ins there for sure, Alan. Yeah, and then we had the launch of the Eternals. It had been often delayed. It was a, Eternals was a strange one for me because it's not a, a, a ridiculously well-known Marvel property, certainly not in comparison to some of their bigger titles. But yet it launched with all these variant covers, and I think the initial plan was it was going to coincide a little closer to the movie being released, which would raise general awareness for it. But I thought it was a really solid first issue, given that I don't know an awful lot about the Eternals, as I mean, as is to be expected by Kieran yeah. Gill. Yeah, I mean, but you look at the team, Kieran Gillen and Isad Rubik, you know, so it, it, it is written well and it looks great. But, I mean, the Eternals conceived by Jack Kirby, it's the what he was doing at DC with the New Gods, he did at Marvel with the Eternals. Uh, you know, it's so it's really, it was really epic. It, it resonates, you know, with that whole, you know, Greek and, uh, and, and Roman God sort of thing, you know, so it's really massive and really epic and sprawling. But, what he's doing is he seems to be setting up the Eternals as kind of like a, a system for protecting the world, protecting humanity or, or, or something. And they seem to, you know, they, re, they re-resurrect, you know, and, and they fill certain roles and they, they can't move too far beyond those defined roles. Uh, you know, they're nearly like um, archetypes for everything that comes after, but it's a really interesting stuff. It was very close to being my, my, pick, of the, my pick of the week, I have to say, but we're not talking about... I think Marvel missed a trick. I thought it would have been a great time to drop the trailer. You know, the film's due out in, is it five or six months? And there still hasn't been a whiff of a trailer. Mm. I did see someone leaked uh, a toy. And you know the way they have the image in on the figure? Showed you them all in, in their costumes. I just thought it would have been a great time. Drop the trailer. Hype's going to be high. And then launch your issue one. Problem is, they don't know if the movie's going to be released whenever they think it's going to be released. That's also true. You know, yeah, so, just like uh, a coming at some point at the end Hopefully of the trailer instead of a date <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but uh yeah a lot of a lot of good stuff but what was your uh i mean death metal future state titles strange that one of those aren't your pick of the week Alan, well i i like to surprise every every so often the this week saw the release of a, a hard cover that i was really looking forward to just because i was really looking forward to a reread so what my pick of the week is is a, a new marvel hardcover Always an Invader, which is written by Chip Zdarsky, art oh. by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis. 
and obviously this is an audio medium so no one will be able to see this but i'm just going to hold up the the direct market cover that i went for uh, which is scott, a young variant, lovely. rather yeah. beautiful scotty young variant you know gotta, was gotta that keep... your choice or vicky's uh i think that was actually my choice for once you know but uh yeah so always an invader you know this this is a title that was continuously in our picks of the week all of last year and honorable mentions you know, it coincided with Marvel's 80th birthday celebrations. And I think we talked about this a few times, Keith. You know, even though they released an oversized sort of celebratory single issue, Marvel 1000, to mark the occasion, mm -hmm. we always thought that Invaders was a more fitting tribute to, to Marvel's yeah. deep and storied history. You know, it was it was a title I came to because of Chip Zdarsky. You know, all, as always, follow the creator and you'll, you'll be rewarded. I've never been a massive Invaders guy. My knowledge is very, very limited. So the title itself wouldn't have been enough to tempt me to the series. But after reading this, you know, I might just have to check out some Invaders runs from the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when it comes to the plot with this, you know, it, it traditionally or it, it mostly centers around Namor, the Submariner, the true monarch of Atlantis. And he's declared war on the surface world. And it's determined this time that nothing will get in the way of his mission. Not even his former brothers in arms and fellow invaders, Captain America, the Human Torch and Winter Soldier. But how can they stop him when he knows how they think against someone who knows all their strategies and fighting tactics? You know, what's really cool about this is, you know, we have a modern day conflict that you're exploring. We also delve into the secret history of Namor and learn more about him. You know, this this is a period that I know you'll certainly elaborate in a bit, Keith. You know, a, sort of a missing section of, of Namor's life. You know, yeah. we learn more about his volatile rage, what drives him and how he, he never really truly left the war behind, you know, that he faced all those years ago. At its heart, it was a 12-issue miniseries collected here along with uh, a one-shot, Namor the Best Defense. And it's about the bonds of brotherhood between Namor and Captain America. That the events happening in the modern day are a result of something going wrong that needs to be explained. And that's that's that sort of missing period of Namor's life I'm, I'm alluding to. You know, mm. these men, they fought side by side in World War II. And Captain America, he's, he's always an optimist. You know, he sees the best in people. He knows that despite Namor's actions, that there's a good man in there. You know, Cap has always been idealistic, while Namor is pretty much the opposite. You know, they have an abundance of respect for each other, even if they don't always agree in a course of action. So therefore, Cap is determined to give Namor one last chance to see the error of his ways. With two artists on this, you know, that, that usually sets alarm bells ringing for me. You know, it, it, you're not going to get a good continuity of art. It's going to be jarring. But what they do in this is really clever because they have one artist draw everything that's in the past and one artist draw everything that's in the present. So therefore, you always know where you stand with the story. So Butch Geist draws the events of the past and it's Carlos Magno, you know, doing the action in the present. It's really like I read through this in one sitting when I when I got it again recently. You know, it's it's fast paced. It's exciting. It's full of character exploration and development. An absolute must for any Marvel fan and another home run for our boy Chip. I would have to say so you know you you love this just as much as i did didn't you keith oh absolutely alan i mean and i'd be i have every issue it came up again again and again in the podcast either myself or yourself or roddy picking it you know or, or reference it or honorable mentioning it uh i mean butch butch geiss and his, his work on captain america alongside uh brubaker uh was was fantastic carlos magno as i say the way they divided those art that art was just fantastic and the you know the story behind the story the story about why Namor is in this finds himself in this position you know the story about uh, post traumatic stress and as you say the the bond between those 
those people, you know, and, uh, you know, that, I guess there's a, Charles Xavier features in there somewhat mm -hmm. as well, doing things that, you know, aren't necessarily Xavier, in everybody's like... best. And yeah, exactly. So uh, oh, I just, yeah, absolutely, absolutely love this story. And as a, it was a very, very fitting uh, marking of, of Marvel's 80th, 80th anniversary. Did you read this, Paddy? I haven't. I know very little about the invaders. I've been reading Brubaker's run on Captain America, and they are mentioned quite a lot. So I'm sure I'll check it out at some point. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, the invaders. The invaders are Marvel's World War Two super team. They were the yeah. they were the allied the allied team. You know, the led by Captain America, featuring the android Human Torch and Submariner and uh, Union Jack. You know, a bunch of just a yeah. bunch of classic classic heroes. So yeah, I, I love that stuff. Love it. Yeah, and this is very much what, what I was saying, Paddy. This is your starting point right here because similar to yourself, you know, I obviously have read quite a bit of Captain America and Winter Soldier and stuff like that, but this was all pretty new to me as well. But it was just exceptional. Week out, or month after month it came out, you know, we couldn't stop. It, it was one of those titles that early on it was like, oh, here we go again. We're picking it again. But it was just <laughs> really consistent. Alex Ross covers as well, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, I know, the, I know the main cover is Alex Ross. Obviously, I went for the uh, the direct market edition, which is exclusive to comic stores. It's the Scotty Young cover. But there is a beautiful Alex Ross uh, painted cover as well, which very mm. prominently has Namor on the front. So, uh, yeah, great starting point. Great one-shot story. Even if you only ever read this and never read any other, anything else of The Invaders, this still works. It, it's just. I think he added beautiful. it to Marvel Unlimited maybe when I first got it because remember I listened to one of the podcasts you had mentioned it, yeah. or I was I was looking up everything Chip Zdarsky had done. So, yeah, I will definitely check that out. Such high praise. Excellent. So yeah, that was my choice then. Always an invader, the hardcover. And what about yourself, Paddy? What was your pick for this week? My pick for this week was a tough one. There was so much good indie stuff. I thought this week you'd crossover far par. Uh, a really good issue one, The Last Witch, which uh, I know Keith is on. Did you read that one? No, I actually uh, I ran out of copies that week of it. I've got it in back order now. Yeah. So. Oh, that's that's right up your street, Alan. I think uh, The Last Witch is the new Boom Boom's title, new. Wasn't? It's Boom's new wind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it is. You know, it's it's in the it's in the vein of 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 sort of I guess bone of of maybe Middle West of. Uh, definitely wind um writers connor mccreary and the the, the artist is vv glass but there's a there's a real uh celtic uh mythology side to it you know it's about it's about this there's this annual festival and the the main protagonist is this wee girl Saoirse, uh, and her entire you know uh, it, it's it's just a, a lovely lovely start it's about adventures and there's a a granny in it that reminds me of the grandmother and bone and uh grannies yeah, are just... the new superheroes these days aren't they yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah so it's it's just it's it's just very it's it's just the start but it's it's so good you know it really is there's a a mysterious birthmark and there's a there's uh, a mysterious past and a, a younger brother and uh but yeah the first the first issue there's a there's a Sorsha and there's a Podrig, so uh, I think we we discussed that last last week. Anyway, maybe that uh, <laughs> some of the Americans yeah. say <laughs> But yeah, very very good indeed. Uh, yeah, but no, Pip once again the the pip of the uh, pick of the week was Donny Cates on Thor issue eleven, part three of the prey storyline and. This just wow. gets better and better and better. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so th this issue focuses mainly on a meeting between Donald Blake and Jane Foster. Uh, he, he takes her out for dinner, and you just kind of see throughout the issue, you see him unraveling. You know, there's a bit where he's, he's cutting in the steak, and he's he's viciously cutting into it. I, th I think it was hinted at previously that he was going through all the previous anybody that had the Thor, you know, that was Thor taking taking back the power, taking kind of everything that that they had. But it turns out he didn't know the Jane Foster. Yeah, that was held a them great on. moment when he sort of just like the expressiveness in the eyes. The you were you were what? Yep. And then they, you think he stabbed her in the hand, and you know then sucks the power out of her. But it's, it's all a bit of a, a daydream he's had. Uh, and then at the end, I remember Keith, you had said on, do you remember the the last previews one we done that Jane Foster's power was, she could see a, a skull above someone, and that's uh, yeah, she's the she's the say word of death. Yeah, she's the Valkyrie, so she's the. The Asgardian escort to fallen heroes to take them to uh, to Valhalla. So one of her yep. one of her abilities is this death sense, so she can see how close or how likely someone is to die in the near future. And the the larger the skull she sees above their head would would seem to indicate, yep. you know. And that's yep. actually in King and Black too. At one point she sees this huge yeah. ball above Eddie's head, you know. So. And then took me by surprise. I, I thought that that bit was then the, the end of the issue, but there was the Donald Blake hunting down a couple of characters I know nothing about, Keith, which is why I'm looking forward to you explaining who the hell the, the, the frog is with Thor's hammer. Yes, well, that's Throg. That's the Thunder Frog. <laughs> <laughs> Just says it's a matter of fact, like common knowledge. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, that, that, that particular frog is a, is a wielder of the of the uh the thor par um probably not even worth going going into <laughs> but uh yeah it's a, a story from the from the i guess it was the, the late 70s early 80s um a lot of drugs been done down there that time, <laughs> you know? uh but uh yeah it was i think there was originally was it originally thor was transformed into a frog and then a frog that he they met at the time. I can't remember what the what the exact story. But yeah, I mean, I'm loving this. I'm loving this storyline. This is, this is just. I think we've every issue of this storyline has been a pick, uh, yeah. one point or another. That that the the meal with Jane Foster. These two have a lot of history. And you said he look he's unraveling, but I don't know if he ever looked like he was raveled. <laughs> um, you know, Don Blake, who has come back from that place that the you know that in between world that. Uh, that he, he he was he was in whenever he wasn't Thor, and he's stolen the dragon's power. And when he's drinking the coffee, the steam goes across his face, and you can see the dragon's eyes in place of his eyes. It's just fantastic. Um, you know, there's yeah, there's some great stuff in here. The Asgardians are have all been uh, exiled to the dimension to the dimension blood, um, and ah, uh, uh, just the threat, the threat over dinner. Uh, is just great and then he pulls the power out of out of Jane Foster and you see you know when that 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 Nick Klein sort of double page spread where he's you know pulling out her power and you see her in the interim you see her face as as she was whenever she was Thor that's uh, class uh it just is really it is really class he's a he's a a weird psychotic somewhat tragic threatening figure um 
and uh, yeah, as you, you know, whenever Jean goes into the, the bathroom and sees the skull above her own head yeah. of her encroaching death, but uh, oh yeah, just great, great stuff, great stuff. I'm just glad Danny Case has announced he's leaving Venom. Well, I'm not glad because I'm really enjoying his run in Venom, but if I had to choose between Venom and Thor, I'd carry on writing Thor. Interesting, I think Donny Cates would think the same thing because wasn't Thor his dream gig for for a long time? But he, yeah. he basically came along at a time where Jason Aaron was doing such amazing work that the job was never going to, or seemingly the job was never going to come up. But I think he always said Thor was like his, his dream project for, for writing for Marvel. So yeah, that that whole run's just been fantastic the whole way through. Really, really has. I mean, if if you're looking, jumping on points for it, the first trade's available, which uh, can, you know has the first full story arc. So easy to jump into that so yeah cool so paddy's pick then for the 6th of january is thor number 11 is it gonna be a marvel clean sweep cleave well i mean there was plenty going on everywhere else uh, as you said you know crossover three fire fire power seven fire power continues to be one of the best books on the stand yeah. uh, absolutely loving it absolutely loving it um the third issue of Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I think I mentioned that series maybe last week, or, or I picked the first issue. That just that crossover between uh, two wonderful things, Dungeons and Dragons being so central to Stranger Things, and it all taking place in the eighties and the, the stuff around that. And the Last Witch was just was fantastic. Did uh, anybody read Star Wars: The High Republic? Uh, yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was all right. Gets a lot, a lot of hit online really ripped into online i noticed but yeah, i enjoyed it thought it was was a good first issue i thought it was all right it was okay um it's not up there with star wars or, or star wars darth vader by any means but do you uh, think it's because we've been spoiled so much by star wars lately mandalorian the bar is set as you said you you love darth vader and the star wars run at the minute the bar is set ridiculously high yeah i mean it could be but that's i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna put a book into the star wars marvel Marvel Star Wars world at the minute that's the that's what you have to be aiming for you know um I have to so say Keith, it... your your opinion of it wouldn't float very well online because you do know if you're reviewing something online you either have to absolutely love it or absolutely oh, hate it I, I know yeah you, you're somewhere in the middle that's yeah. that's not an online <laughs> viewpoint at all I'm, I'm gonna give it another there's good <laughs> things about it I'm gonna give it another two or three issues and uh Hellions uh you know the the, the Marvel uh Hickman X book about that that team who are just a wee bit psychotic, uh, you know, or just a wee bit uh, edgier than than the other teams, and doing those those missions under Mister Sinister that that the other teams just can't quite handle. Number eight was was phenomenal, but you're right, Alan. It's going to be a Marvel clean sweep for uh, for the sixth of January because my choice is you're not going to like it. You're not going <laughs> to like it, uh, and maybe you're not going to like it either, Paddy, uh, given your uh, your thoughts on Iron Man and Doctor Doom. But it's Iron Man number five by. Uh, Chris, Chris Cantwell and uh, and Cafu. So this is the conclusion of the first act of the books of Korvac saga. So uh, Korvac is a, an old school, uh, omnipotent, omniscient uh, Avengers villain who is, has, has come back in a, in a different, slightly less powered way and is, is making his way back to that level of power. But so I mean, it's kind of it's it's a point where 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 Tony has to, and we've got a very much depowered, uh, stripped back uh, Iron Man here. Uh, you know, he's he's thrown away his technology. He's uh, he's turned his back on a lot of what what people think about him on on, on the online and stuff. But anyway, Korvac is is an android at the minute, and he's 
trying to make this ascent towards absolute power by uh, getting on board Galactus's ship, the Tattoo, and and I guess stealing power from there. And uh, Tony, it's about time Tony has to act, and he he decides to finally do what Tony Stark has such problems doing, and that's to ask for help. But you know, who's he going to ask for? You know, he he takes charge of this new team of new allies, all made up of C and D list Marvel characters, because he can't reach out to his uh, his, his stalwarts, you know, the, the A-list characters, because uh, Korvac has got War Machine Cap, he's got him held hostage, and if, if Tony looks like he's making any moves, he's going to execute War Machine, he's going to execute Rhodey, Tony's best friend, so so he's got a He's got to make moves, I guess, under the radar. But um, we've got Hellcat, you know, who's in a real weakened state due to the last three or four issues, both physically and mentally. And, you know, Tony Tony makes, doesn't always make good decisions, as you well know, Alan. And he's maybe at a point here where he's risking everybody's life, including his own, uh, especially whenever he goes down and he, he conf- confronts Korvac himself one-on-one. But, I mean, this... Oh, this is this Iron Man run uh, by Christopher Cantwell and Cafu is, I have no doubt this is going to go down as one of the character making seminal runs on Iron Man 100% I mean and I say that after five issues this, this issue is it's a real slow burner and it just has this oh, heart rending fucking twist in it the second half is it's all real intense confrontation Tony confronting Korvac mano a mano uh, and, and Tony's on the back foot the whole time uh, there's there's some characters as I say that are, that are pulled in here and they're a fun ragtag team that are put together for this storyline they don't get much use in this storyline but whenever you're introducing Scarlet Spider into everything anything at all, Ben Riley, I'm a happy man especially when he's drawn by Cafu, the way Cafu draws. Uh, we've got, you know, Scarlet Spider, the fabulous Frogman. You maybe don't know him. Uh, Misty Knight, uh, who you know we know from uh, from the the street level Avengers, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, and a character called Gargoyle, who I'm not that familiar with. But but anyway, it's great to see those smaller heroes getting a wee bit of exposure in, in a big one of Marvel's big big three titles. You know, um, Hellcat, uh, who you've watched Jessica Jones, I take it. So you know Patsy and, and mm-hmm. Jessica Jones. Patsy Walker, isn't it? Yeah, Patsy Walker. Patsy Walker is Hellcat. And it's interesting seeing her here and this at the same time as I'm watching season three of Jessica Jones. Uh, you know, she's very much, you know, she's a big, big part of this. And But by the time you're finished, you know, with Tony and what Tony's doing, I think you're a wee bit less sympathetic, you know, about the situation he's in and the problems he has, you know. So it's it's great. I mean, Cafu's art is absolutely stunning. It's been stunning throughout this series. And while there hasn't necessarily been a huge amount of action in the series, the art spotlights characters and, and spotlights faces and, and, and emotions and, and captures it's the, the colors are really muted and, and they really God, it's a really moody, moody story. So I mean this is I guess this is gonna be this is issue five. It's the end of the, the first saga. This is what they'll trade these first five issues. Would that be right to say? Would that be fair yeah, to say? Yeah, that would be a good guess. Usually five um, issues, either five or six issues, usually for first trades. Yeah, I mean, so if you're not if you're not on this book, get the trade, get the first five issues and trade. This is 
the the, the team that are creating this, Cantwell and, and Cafu, Cantwell's just come off Doctor Doom, uh, which was absolutely fantastic with Salvador Laroca. But this is a team that are working at just an incredibly high standard. And as I say, this is going to be this is going to be a character arc that is going to be talked about for years to come. And I just that's that's just the way it is. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's it's probably the best that Tony Stark has been written maybe since Fraction was writing him, uh, which was a, a fantastic run. And I think I think what Cantwell's doing is, is the top end of that even, you know. Um, so if this is if this stays at this level, we're looking at one of the best the best Iron Man runs ever. High no praise indeed. High yeah, praise indeed. I, I don't uh, I, I don't apologize for that. <laughs> you don't need to apologize for your opinion. This is not online, Keith. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. So you're, you're not so, the chat room yeah, here. I mean, uh, Alan, I know you're uh, a huge detractor of Tony Stark and Iron Man. I would say get on this. It won't necessarily change the opinion that you have about Tony Stark, but it is a great story about that character, about that character's flaws, uh, about the decisions that he, he makes, about the chances he takes, and about the people that get hurt along the way. Fair, fair. Well, you've usually steered me right in the in the past, so maybe I need to jump on. I think uh, I think I read the first issue of it and I enjoyed it. I just I think I had a heavy week when uh, issue two came out, so just sort of stepped away from. It. it Was easy to sweep Iron Man to the side as as terrible as yeah, that is. Well, I mean that would have been a mistake on your part, I would say. You really read the first two as well, and then just gave up on it. It just wasn't grabbing me at all. Yeah, that's 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 fair. But I would I would suggest you maybe. That's you fair, but you're wrong. Ranking. You're wrong. <laughs> well, that's fair, but I disagree. But yeah, as you say, Marvel Queen's clean sweep for the 6th of January there. That's not very often that happens. No, not at all. Not at all. Usually I would slip a DC in just to be contrary, but not this time. <laughs> so that's the 6th of January taken care of and a Marvel clean sweep for uh, picks of the week. So we're going to move on then to the 13th of January. So again, this was... Uh, <laughs> This is a week where I apparently had more titles together than uh, both you two put together. Jeez, that is a big week. Uh, I, I blame Future State and Keenan Black tie-ins because I'm following them all. So, yeah, big numbers for me this week. This was a 27-title week for me. Nice even split, though, again, I think. Uh, so I had 9 DC, 7 Marvel, and 11 Indie. I I must admit, nearly every single week, uh, Indie is my, my biggest pull. Mm-hmm. Despite it's getting that way for me too, yeah, despite my obvious DC leanings. So yeah, twenty-seven for me. How about yourself, Paddy? I had ten titles: one DC, five Marvel, and again that was due to King and Black tie-ins on four indie. So you had one DC title this week, and you stole it off me. But anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and Keith, how about yourself? Uh, for me, it was fourteen titles on the thirteenth: two DC. Uh, Eight Marvel and four Indie. I think both of those DC were Future State titles. Yeah, well, well, that's it. I mean, the the reason my numbers are so big this week is because I've thrown myself headfirst into all of Future State. So there was there was lots of really good stuff to enjoy this week from Future State. I thought that Future State Green Lantern was actually very very good. Uh, Future State Justice League, yeah, take it or leave it. I thought it was pretty strong art wise. Didn't mind the story, but definitely not one of the stronger titles. Kara Zor-El Superwoman was a was a delight. It was actually a really, really good title, uh, Marguerite Bennett. Uh, the one that stood out for me probably the most this week, other than what will be a pick of the week, uh, was Robin Eternal, which was really, really great. It was actually exploring uh, Tim Drake and Spoiler, 
which was really really good um and it actually had something in that you would uh, quite enjoy keith it was all to do with this uh this regenerative regenerative super drug that was going to make the forces of the magistrate immortal do you know what the, do you know what it was called what was it called lazarus resin <laughs> you know rearrange those words of resin and uh we're on to another yeah, one of keith's yeah. favorite titles um, so yeah so the future state stuff was very strong even uh superman wonder woman was quite quite solid as well as was teen titans one of the ones that stood out for me this week actually was uh, a dc title american vampire 1976 we were up to number four of nine so we're halfway through what is going to be sort of scott snyder and Raphael albuquerque's goodbye to american vampire that is one alan that uh, i've never touched i meant to get on it right at the very very start at the very start uh didn't do that but what I'm, I'm i'm waiting here now for this to finish and then if there's a big spanky omnibus that comes out that's all mine really annoyingly there's a beautiful omnibus out there now because they thought they'd finished before <laughs> then they came back for one more volume i've all <laughs> i've all the single issues i happily threw them throw them to you no problem at all uh i've american vampire i've been on from the start and it's just been really really solid the whole way through so it has no no marvel titles really stood out for me this week uh indie wise it's it's all the usual suspects you know seven secrets again continuing to be fantastic uh there's a title called bleed them dry that you know i've recently that the keith has jumped on it had a really weird release schedule because it was one that diamond kept sending us like subsequent issues but they started at number two and we had as far as number five in store before we had number one in store really strange one but uh, doesn't sound I mean, like damon to do something like that not at all but it's a ninja vampire story it's it is, what do you need? it's brilliant set in the year 3333 uh actually uh in the, in the far far future where you've got are we still on lockdown well, <laughs> well then in some ways yeah they are uh but uh yeah i mean you've got you get humans and vampires living side by side but there's a there's a secret history there that starts to come to light um uh, it's it's so so good and i really appreciate you uh you, you picking up the back issues for me alan because i know it was i picked the first issue off the the uh off the, the racks and then maybe i said to you this is awesome but i didn't say could you grab me issue two three four five uh so uh, yeah that this was this is phenomenal i'm really looking forward to the last issue uh you've two issues in your box right now number oh, five and six yeah. brilliant that'll uh, be the end of that but yeah it's a cracking cracking wee title it's from vault comics so uh, at the very least we'll definitely be getting the trades of that in in case you you come to it late and then just one other indie title stood out for me which uh i think patty's reading as well he jumped on this actually off of vicky's recommendation this is a title called erratic and this is another awa title it's written by Carrie Andrews with art by Brian Reber and it's essentially all about a 15 year old who has superpowers but the only th- the only caveat is he can only use them for 10 minutes at a time so when do you use them you know he's, he's a kid that gets bullied in school does he use his powers to stop himself being bullied does he wait to see if there's any crime that he can stop does he use his powers to impress a girl it's, it's a really interesting little title and it's got a bit of a manga flavor to it which I which I'm enjoying um you are on this as well, aren't you, Paddy Erratic? Yeah, yeah, really. It's the first AWA one I decided to pick up on a, a weekly basis. I like trade reading them. Yeah, really enjoying it. I love that concept, as you said, of 10 minutes. What do you what do you use your 10 minutes for? You know, very, very good so far. Two issues in, five, isn't it? Five yeah. issues. Well, that's the great thing about AWA stuff. They're nearly all either four, five, or six. They're, they're sort of one and dones, and if they do well, they do another volume. But as you say, to this point, you've more been a trade reader of it. Yeah. But I think this was a good one to jump into. And uh, 
Um, because you can only read an issue for 10 minutes at a time. You see, it, it suits the theme and everything. Perfect. Uh, but yeah, I, I have another nice little bit of symmetry then when it comes to my uh, cho- choice of the week or pick of the week. And that's because my pick of the week for the first week we reviewed was DC. My pick of the week for the second re- week we reviewed was Marvel. This week, it's an indie title. This was one <laughs> I was looking forward to for ages. Uh, this was solicited a, a couple of months ago and straight away I knew this was going to be my thing. So this is a title called Haha. Ha. This is a brand new number one. It's written by W. Maxwell Prince. And the art in issue one is by Vanessa Del Rey. So one of the breakout hits, certainly from the time we've been open uh, from Image Comics in the last few years, has been the universally acclaimed Ice Cream Man. It's an anthology horror series. It regularly appears on best of lists and in awards categories. So I really look forward to this because this is going to be a new anthology series from the writer of Ice Cream Man, W. Maxwell Prince. Now, Ice Cream Man's artist, Martin Morazzo, is not along for the ride this time. Each issue is actually going to feature a different artist. And first up is the stellar work of Vanessa Del Rey, who has worked on titles such as Scarlet Witch, The Empty Man, Redlands. Instead of an exploration of a creepy ice cream man, here we are introduced to another childhood fear, or wonder, depending on your preference, that of a clown. In issue one, we're introduced to Bart. Uh, He's a working clown who has a wife and two kids. And it's really clear from the outset that his family considers career to be an absolute joke and not the funny kind. Things go from bad to worse as he loses his job in Funville, his place of work, because it's not faring well in the modern world. You know, people are not flocking to circus and amusement parks anymore. You know, they much prefer to bury their heads in the latest technological fancy instead, their iPads, their iPhones, whatever. His boss actually comes across as a nice enough guy and even pays him a severance check. But a few dodgy individuals have their eye on that check because they see him getting uh, handed it. You know, Bart, he's, he's an optimistic guy, almost to the point of parody. You know, nothing is going to deject him. Not being robbed, not the lack of respect from his family, not even the lights going off when he doesn't pay the bills. But is he as optimistic as his sunny demeanor suggests or is he just rejecting reality? You know, the old saying goes, everyone is just one bad day away from going crazy. There's just a lot to sink your teeth into in this book. You know, it's by turns bleak and hopeful. It has madcap but dark humor. And an everyman character who you're rooting for. But you just can't quite shake the feeling that it's not going to end well for him. He's the personification of that American dream. You know, the stable life, the wife, the two kids, the house, and maybe a little bit of respect. But the world he inhabits won't let him have that. You know, it beats him down at every opportunity. And surely there's only so long he can keep a smile on his face painted on or otherwise del rey's art's fantastic as always you know very expressive very emotive and just plain great to look at and chris o'halloran he's continuing to do his best to steal Jordy belair's clown uh clown oh terrible terrible slip of the tongue for this review <laughs> terrible slip uh continues to do his best to steal Jordy belair's crown as the busiest colorist in the industry you know chris o'halloran does immortal hulk ice cream man black panther scarentude and write it in blood to name but a few brilliant brilliant first issue really really highly recommended and it's actually just going back to second print as well just in case you've you've missed out on it so i think this is a title that i'm all on my lonesome with uh because i just can't turn down an indie title uh doesn't doesn't interest you guys this one it's not that it doesn't interest me i think it it, it slipped by me and then uh you know speculators jumped on it a wee bit as well didn't they? and uh, I knew kind of by the time I was interested, it would have been long gone. So I might pick up the second print uh, and, and give it a go. 
it's a lovely cover for the second print actually as well so it is so just a really cool title i mean i just i love the diversity of image comics i i've you know, there there really is a story for everyone with it. I don't I don't know if it'll be your kind of thing, Keith, because I know you're not a big anthology guy. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. And I, I mean, that said, I've definitely softened towards them. I've picked up a few more recently, but I don't know that the subject matter is really my really my bag. To be fair, Alan, I have to say. And my impassioned review could do nothing to change that. But I didn't say that. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was really, really solid. Really class first issue. Really stood out. And actually, as soon as I finished reading it, I just went back to start and read it again. Just read it twice in one sitting. So, so yeah, that was my favorite title from this week, which is Ha Ha Number One. Uh, it was also my favorite title this week because I wasn't allowed access to my actual favorite title this week <laughs> because Patty stole it on me. What did you steal from me? What did you do, new boy? <laughs> uh, yeah, I went for Future State, Dark Detective number one. Uh, for me, not only the issue of the week, but probably the best issue of Future State so far. I'm only on the Bat Family minus Robin Eternal, which I think I'm kicking myself a wee bit for because it does sound, sound quite good. But yeah, art by Don Mora and written by... Mariko Takami. Tamaki. Yeah. Mariko Tamaki. Mariko Tamaki. The world thought Bruce Wayne was dead. They were dead wrong. When the sinister paramilitary organization, oh, there we go, known as the Magistrate, seizes control of Gotham City, the original Batman went to put them down. But even the Dark Knight couldn't predict how far this evil force would go to stop him. Now Bruce Wayne is on the run. It's a story of Batman pushed to the brink with nothing left to lose. I absolutely loved it. I thought the art was outstanding. I love that story of the world thinks he's dead, but you know, what what do you do in that situation? You know, you, you're you're a billionaire. You're you're Bruce Wayne. You, you've you're Batman, and then all of a sudden, I'm I'm so annoyed. I, I forgot to lift it as well when I was coming out to flick through it. The art by Dan Mora and it was was absolutely beautiful. It it, it was stunning. But what impressed me as well is was the the backup story for Grifter. Ah, uh, uh, one of my favourites. Oh, that was absolutely brilliant. I thought up to that point the backup stories in the was it the next Batman that never really impressed me. I, I thought it was put in as a bit of a filler, but I absolutely loved that Grifter story. Uh, but yeah, all in all, hands down the the highlights so far of Future State for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure Alan's probably got a got a, a raft of stuff to to say about this. You cannot you cannot complain whenever you've got uh, Dan Mora on art. Uh, you just you just can't. He's just phenomenal. I love the I love the the Neo Gotham. He's he's drawn here, and, and I mean, this is fairly central, I think, because with Future State, they're tying a whole lot of stuff together with the Magistrate and and uh, where Bruce Wayne has gone and and all of that sort of stuff. So I think this is fairly central. I mean, it's not. Future State's not a crossover. It's it's a series of connected stories, I think, set in mm-hmm. maybe a similar time period, some of them, you know, and, and this definitely feeds into that. But this sort of echoes back a wee bit to what I was saying about Iron Man 5. You know, Iron Man and, and, and Cantwell's Iron Man, you've got a, a hero who's a largely, a you know, in some parts technological, who's who's stripped back to, to nothing but, but really just the man. And... Uh, you know, I just love the, you know, on his bat costume, the, you know, the bat is clearly just sprayed on. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I really, I really love that. So it's, 
yeah, very, very, very good stuff. Matthew Rosenberg's grifter story, brilliant, brilliant. And uh, Carmine de, de Giudomonico uh, on, on illustration, on art, is just great. Yeah, love this, love this. Yeah, I mean, the the most promising thing about it is that this is going to be the team on Detective Comics from March onwards. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Mariko Tamaki on writing. It's going to be Dan Moore on art. I mean, I was always looking forward to this because A, I'm a Bruce Wayne guy when it comes to Batman, and B, it's Dan Moore on art. And we all know how absolutely gorgeous Once in Future always is. So, yeah, I just love the idea, the whole stripped-back version of Bruce Wayne, as you say. It's, you know, what essentially is he without his toys, without his Batman identity, without, you know, being able to call on his support network. You know, in a sense as well, this this totalitarian future that essentially has been created here, he helped create it. You know, it's a lot of his technology that is sort of being used in a different way. And... I mean, the art is just jaw-droppingly beautiful. This actually mm-hmm. reminds me of Jim Lee at his height. Um, there's one panel in particular where he's being chased by one of the drones and it's shouting after him, stopped by order of the magistrate, and he just <laughs> rips this sort of homeless man stuff off and he's running down. It, the, like that Batman image, that is Jim Lee, Hush era level good. Yeah, that's great stuff. That's uh, great stuff. The colors, yeah. just as I was saying, uh, Chris O'Halloran was going for her crown. Jordy Bell Aaron Colors for this one, <laughs> unsurprisingly. But yeah, just everything about this, this this is easily the strongest title in Future State. And again, just to go back to what you were saying, Patty, a lot of that's to do with the quality of the backup story as well. You know, yeah. it's it's great to see it's great to see creators who I who I love and respect, love their work, come on to DC, but the, and you haven't really seen them before. So Dan Moore with the art. Matthew Rosenberg, you know, be more of a Marvel guy in recent years. Mm-hmm, great mm-hmm. to see him come on and do this great grifter story. I hope this is going to be a case of similar to the Robin story. We're going to get in the back of Detective and Batman when it starts off in March, getting its own ongoing. Get Matthew Rosenberg on a grifter ongoing, please. Oh, yes. I'm, I, I take my money. Take yeah. my money. A lot of humor in it. A lot of badassery. Just a really, really solid backup story. And uh, yeah, it's it's left me so excited for Detective Comics, what this creative team's going to do as well. So mm-hmm. uh, great, great pick there, Paddy. Great pick. Thank you. <laughs> no Thank you for letting me talk. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So uh, that was Paddy's pick then. Uh, Future State Dark Detective number one. So what about yourself, Keith? What was what were your impressions of this week and your pick of the week? Well, I loved. I love Bleed Them Dry. I mean, that the, the fifth issue is due out this week, and I, so we've said enough about that. That was vampires, ninjas, what else do you want, you know? Um, Seven Secrets, number six, was out as well. Tom Taylor's uh, in, the, in the title, and just a, a huge mix of action and twists and just really excited for what's coming there. Don't know where the book's going at all, but it's all about uh, betrayals and threats, and yeah, Tom, Tom Taylor, he just keeps it running uh but then there's those just those we we quiet intimate you know emotional moments as well uh so seven secrets uh has just been phenomenal i'm loving uh uh a man among you um the you know the the, the pirate uh epic that i'm reading um sword uh, issue two by al ewing was was just great we spotlight and fabian cortez haven't seen him in a while Star Wars Darth Vader, that's uh, the storyline at the minute where uh, Darth Vader has been abandoned on uh, Mustafar, you know, with uh, nothing. He's not allowed to use the Force. His, his body's been wrecked and he's he's fighting his way back. This was a real combat 
focused issue focused on on Vader's physical prowess, you know, and uh, and up against the the assassin uh, Ochi of Bestun. And Marauders under Jerry Dugan. That's again one of the X titles, one of the strongest X titles, um, you know. And again, coming off the back of X of Swords, could have gone for filler, but this is, uh, some ways the start of something. But also we have Storm up against Callisto, which is like an old an old X Men sort of rivalry, but in a very very different way. So some great, uh, I guess, political stuff going on, and and world building stuff and hellfire club stuff and 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 uh i just love kate pride and her and her current uh i guess her current uh, pirate sort of thing again maybe i've got a pirate theme going on here at the minute <laughs> and i really enjoyed uh king and black thunderbolts i love the thunderbolts this is just a wee bit of a different take on it as fisk reassembles a team of villains in order to do a thing you know within uh you know within uh, the king and black sort of sort of world it's that's that's pretty good stuff but that's rosenberg so as well isn't it thunderbolts that is rosenberg as well mm-hmm. so uh so yeah there's a lot of a lot of good stuff going on certainly and in, in marvel and indy for me uh dark detective was a fantastic choice but for me the standout this week was and it's always on the list but it's pushed its way to the top this week uh, and that's amazing spider-man number 57 by nick spencer and mark bagley uh, you you know exactly how much I love Mark Bagley on Spider Man, and uh, he's right there for this. So this is, I mean, number fifty seven has Peter pushed to the brink uh, as we finish up last remains here. Uh, you know he's pushed to the brink. He, you know he 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 decides he declares he's finished taking part in the in the Osborne feud between Norman and and Harry that has just typified and and signified his life. You know his friends are desperate to help, but he. He just absolutely pushes himself to the edge in hopes of protecting the people he loves, you know. And in the end, Kindred is still a threat, and and even MJ is is certain that the the worst hasn't arrived yet, you know. So it's all in the aftermath of Kindred's attacks. Peter's allies they want answers, and Norman Osborn is is turning to him for help. Kindred is now, I guess, in the custody of of Kingpin and Norman Osborn, and. Peter's reunited with Mary Jane and, and, and everybody wants to know what's going on. Uh, I'm starting to change my opinion on Spider-Gwen. You know, I've, I've been kind of looking at Spider-Gwen as, as one of those just novelty characters and I'm seeing it just a wee bit more. A wee bit more. She's not Gwen. She's never going to be Gwen, but uh, I'm just seeing a wee bit more here. Um, Peter's just very much, he's traumatized. He's been put through the ringer physically and emotionally and um, he he's made decisions that that you know the 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 the, the team that I guess what do they call themselves the Order of the Web have have let him off for and now they're now they're looking for answers and yeah it's it just it doesn't seem to be over yet last remains is over but it doesn't seem to be over yet and you know there's a, a confrontation between Peter and Norman and they've got so much history you feel the weight of that history um. But this was just this was just a, a roller coaster of emotions. Peter's exhausted, he's frustrated, he's traumatized, and to use the term again that we've used for the last couple of two titles, there he's stripped back. You know, this is do you remember um in that issue of Daredevil where Zdarsky had Daredevil describe Spider Man as the best of us? 
Yeah, this it was is, really early on, was it? it was like issue five yeah, or something, was it? Yeah, you know, whenever Daredevil's just at rock bottom and and, and Spider Man effectively comes in and tell him tells him, Don't I can't let you and you know, we we he, we feel what Daredevil, how Daredevil perceives per, per, perceives Spidey. Well this is this is the opposite of that. This is the opposite end of that scale. You know, Peter has been has been has been taken, you know, from from that to just this absolute other end you know and nick spencer is brilliant he, he, there's a real sense of consequence here to, to peter in this story and you can feel the frustration of his allies and the tension and the, the lack of answers that's causing that tension and the confrontation between peter and norman as i say you just you feel the weight of the history of that you know norman being the the the, the green goblin formerly the father of peter's former best friend norman or harry who's right at the center of this it's and uh, the mystery continues you know we still don't know exactly how kindred got to where he was you know and the art on this just mark bagley fantastic i mean the the, the action is phenomenal the, the character moments are beautiful the the intense, the intensity of emotion, even through you know the facial expressions through masks. You remember? Do you remember what Mark Dagley did with with Chip Zdarsky on Spider-Man: Life Story? This, it's Jesus. I mean that 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 was driven by emotion, and and this is just this is just there. You know, Peter's Peter's absolute, you know, exhaustion and and, and traumatization by all of this, and Norman's desperation. Uh, the whole, you know, it's just yeah, just phenomenal. Uh, so this was, this was last remains post mortem, but but this story is not over. This story is not over at all. Um, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyable. Uh, I have to say. Do you think the extra body is under the sheets? Oh, uh, let me you know just. When she tries to call MJ, and then it looks like is that the kindreds, you know, insect. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they just jumped back on it. These were the, the first two issues after I got back on Spider Man and absolutely loved them, thought they were fantastic. Yeah, I'm just I'm just not I'm just not sure. Uh I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> can't can't and, help you there, And it's I'm not sure. often he says that. Usually there's a working theory of some kind. <laughs> but uh yeah, so Amazing Spider Man uh fifty seven to complete our our picks for 13th of january just really a really emotive a really emotive high stakes issue excellent so yeah that uh, brings to an end as as key says 13th of january which moves us along then to the 20th of january so yeah same again uh plenty of titles this week uh i, I don't have quite as even a split this week i have to say uh 24 titles for me that's 10 dc 4 marvel and 10 indie how about yourself, Paddy? What were your numbers? Just the 13 titles, 4 DC, 4 Marvel, and 5 Indie. So a nice, nice split. Nice and even there. And yourself, Keith? Uh, for me, it was 24 titles. So I think uh, up there with yourself, Alan. Neck and neck. Uh, 7 DC, 6 Marvel, 11 Indie. And I had a trade paperback as well. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah. A, a week of a lot of quality and a lot of sort of big events hitting this week as well. big event books i should say hitting this week so you know we had the the finale of deceased dead planet so number seven there with john constantine taking very much a starring role 
you know, this was very close to being my pick of the week because, oh, you know, mine too. Mine too. it was just brilliant. It was horrific. It was hopeful. It was funny. It was great character work, which is, which is, I think, the best thing about Tom Keane's writing is he never skimps on character work, even when he's doing big event books like this. So really, really brilliant conclusion of that. The trade will not be too far behind of that, just in case you've, you've missed out or if you're trade reading. Uh, we had the second issue of Batcat, so Tom Keane, Clay Mann, Tomo Murray. Once again, very close to being my pick of the week, but fantastic I'll... issue, absolutely brilliant. And how it ended, jeez, that I know. those last couple of pages. Suffice to say, I'm surprised the speculators aren't going mad on it. Uh, but yeah, just a really brilliantly uh, put together title. You know, it's Batcat's one of those ones that. You know, I'm really loving, but I'm just like, give me more of it. Just give me more because there was almost seven weeks between back at number one and number two coming out. Uh, it was at least six weeks anyway in terms of release scheduling. So, um, but yeah, just give me more of it. Just uh, always really, really good. Really enjoyed Rorschach actually this week as well. Number four, you're starting to see it tie a little bit more to the Rorschach mythology. And I was curious to pick your head on this, Keith, because I know that so far certainly we chatted about three quickly and you weren't really seeing any links to the watchman universe it was almost yeah, like this uh this is you're starting to get it now yeah this is this was definitely my favorite of the uh of the the rorschach series so far number four i i thought the story was was phenomenal they are starting to hang together a wee bit more for sure definitely mm-hmm. um but then i mean i suppose tom king definitely you know the, the the payoff usually comes at the end you know the long formness of the whole thing you know so and I'm sure it was fun for Jorge Fornes to actually draw some classic Watchmen characters as well in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was really, really good. So, future state-wise this week as well. So, n- another sort of really solid week. The one that stood out to me second most, because my pick of the week is a future state title. Uh, actually, no, it would be third because of what Paddy's is. But th- I thought it was really strong. Future state Superman, Worlds of War number one. This is the first hint we're getting of Philip Kennedy Johnson on the title, who, of course, will be taking over Superman and Action Comics once they come back in March. I thought this was really, really solid. Uh, the idea, it, it reminded me of World War Hulk a little bit. Do you think that's fair to say, Keith? Yeah, no, definitely in that sort of gladiatorial sort of way, uh, for sure. Uh, there was elements of World War Hulk, and, of course, with there being elements of World War Hulk, there was also elements of Thor Ragnarok. Uh, because you know one is based again on the other yeah i uh, i thought this was i thought this was really this was really nice really interesting for sure and that was the one with the didn't the, the midnighter backstory wasn't it yeah it was midnighter mr miracle and black racer so i'm really uh, yeah. enjoying the mr miracle stuff as well interesting uh, yeah but yeah that was one of the sort of with future state in case anybody doesn't know there's always backup stories but some of them are bigger than others with worlds at war just as with the next batman those are big bad boys are like eight dollar titles but they're they must be sort of 60 70 pages plus so you're always going to get at least three stories in it but yeah i thought it was really 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 solid marvel wise i must admit i am really shocked that none of us picked keenan black number three as our pick of the week that <laughs> was very very close to me what an ending what an ending <laughs> you know i've only been telling everybody for years now to read silver surfer black and no one was listening to me except roddy Thank you for that, sir. Um, yeah, I mean, this this was... Maybe it's just, again, we're, we're maybe a bit more conscious of the fact we don't want to just pick the same titles all the time. But, yeah, another really, really strong entrance. You know, that last page had me cheering, I have oh, to say. I mean, I just... I mean, I just... I immediately texted and went, yep, I need to read that story, Alan. I need to read those. Because what he... 
he's done is he's pulled together. He's, it's, there's a lot of the Jason Aaron stuff in there as well. You yeah. know the the Jason Aaron Thor stuff. That's the the the, the God Butcher God Bond. You know so ah. Great stuff. Well, well you done. Were, you well were kicking done. yourself a wee bit, Keith, weren't you, for not I, seeing it? I absolutely was. I couldn't understand how I didn't see it coming. And, uh, you know, bravo, Mr. Kate's bravo. Does anybody <laughs> want to give me a, a very quick recap or should I should I go into Silver Surfer Black not knowing anything? I would recommend going in not knowing anything. Yeah. It's a brilliant five-issue miniseries. Some of the most psychedelic art you will ever see as well by Trad Moore. And just really, I mean, I, I'm a massive surfer guy anyway. Surfer and Daredevil are my my two Marvel guys, so uh, anytime Surfer comes along, miniseries or more, I'm always all over it, but it's just, it's a cracking title, so it is really, really highly recommended. Um, then Marvel-wise, anything else stick out? A couple for yourself, Keith, no doubt? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed X-Force 16. Again, X-Force are the, the Black Ops team of, uh, of uh, you know, Krakoa Beast sort of getting a wee bit dark on it uh, but it was a it was a great there's there seems to be some sort of a well there's some sort of a, a cancer growing under under the sea and in, in Krakoa you know it's where yeah they don't know it becomes clear that they don't know everything that they should know about the the island mutant that they're living on and uh, there was there was this issue was a wee bit of a a mix there was it was Chimes of the Abyss, the movie, uh, which I know you're familiar with, Alan. Um, you know, so that deep underwater, the last unexplored uh, place on Earth. You know, we know less about deep under the sea than we do about the moon, you know, all yeah. of that sort of stuff. But so we had Forge and Quentin Quire and uh, and Wolverine uh, go deep sea diving uh, in some, some bio suits that Forge has made. And of course... The thing that they forget about is that Wolverine has metal bones and he just sinks like a stone. <laughs> but it's kind of horrifying as well because suddenly Wolverine is down there on his own, you know. And there's there's something a wee bit call a wee bit call a Cthulhu, you know, Lovecraftian about it. Um, and we've got a we've got a, an appearance an appearance by Namor, and it it all harks back to the X Men Utopia storyline whenever Namor was side by side with the X Men. It's great stuff, really really good stuff. Cable was good as well, picking up. You know, after the X of Swords stuff, I'm really enjoying, really enjoying, uh, really enjoying that. Uh, you know what Cable's doing. So yeah, some some great uh, Marvel stuff there. Yeah, and then in the wise, just a couple of our favorite titles continuing on very very strongly. You know, we chatted before about Dan Mora with Future State Dark Detective, continuing to do his uh, his day job, shall we say, with uh, Once in Future with Kieran Gillen and Tamara Bond villain. Just continues to be a wonderful series. That I'm was, so glad I joined it. Honestly, it, it is uh, fantastic. I think that was that was maybe my favorite issue. Once in future number fifteen, it was class. It no, was so no, good. no. They will always have peaked with that hot fuzz moment. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I know, I know that's <laughs> yeah, but I think story wise, it's yeah, it's all coming together with, you know, Mary uh, coming out of the you know and and sort of finding out what she's done and, and with Lancelot and. Ah, oh, and and just again this idea, this Kieran Gillen idea of the story being the master of all, you know, and and people taking up these roles of the story and then becoming stuck in them, and and ah, it's just beautiful. It's it's poetry, like it really is. And then we had the end of the second arc of Philadelphia as well, slightly oversized issue as well, which is never a bad thing. Again, mm -hmm. just continues to be an awesome series. You know, it's 
if you want a little bit more insight into that, you know, definitely go back and search out our our interview with Rodney Barnes, the the writer of Philadelphia. But yeah, just really visceral, brutal, brutal title. But just yeah, brutal. I mean, and I can see now where where uh, where the honourable Mister Barnes was saying that uh, the world of uh, the world of Philadelphia maybe was going to get a little larger. Well, I can see how yeah. uh, definitely with the, the backup story in there and just the the. The, uh, he's really twisting things round, you know, where we have the, the villain of the original arc coming back in a way that I wasn't expecting. Some some characters who maybe weren't major characters becoming major characters and and the fate of uh, of Sangster Jr. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Wasn't expecting that. I think that. he knows how to surprise us. Uh-huh, absolutely. S- skill of any good writer. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of picks of the week, I mean, for me... Uh, I must admit I was surprised I got this one ahead of Keith, but I'm sure he'll have plenty to say on it as well. But for me, the the standout title this week was Future State Nightwing number one. So this is going to be a two-parter during Future State, written by Andrew Constant with art by Nicholas Scott. I'd said before about how Future State's been a big surprise for me. You know, I I genuinely thought it was just going to be repackaged as a two-month event while working in the background on the core titles, but I have been so, so wrong. You know, the bat titles have been especially strong, and, you know, I bet you never thought you'd hear me say that. But I am loving this <laughs> near-future interpretation of Gotham. You know, it, it's almost half Gotham City, half Mega City 1 from 2000 AD. You yeah, know? there's definitely a, an element of that. Yeah, Neo-Gotham. Oh, yeah. big time. You know, it is that totalitarian future where masks are outlawed and the magistrate rules all. So in Nightwing, Dick is uh, he's still dealing with, quote, Bruce's apparent death. You know, he's he's actually lost a lot of his optimism. You know, this was not the future he envisioned when he, you know, took up, you know, the, the plan to be Robin and then become Nightwing and so forth. Really great opening scene to this, I thought. You know, it opened with Nightwing intercepting an attack by ciphers on a pair of civilians who are breaking curfew. So... What The reason this was such a great opening scene, I thought, was because it showed the caring side of Dick where he's going to get involved to protect people, but also halfway through, he's able to adjust what's going on because not all is as it seems, and you know he sees through the lure of the magistrate as it's all a trap to pit him against some of their elite soldiers. But we'll find out later in the issue it's a risk he you know, needs to take. There are a lot of familiarities with this Nightwing you know, in terms of his fighting abilities, his acrobatic capabilities and detective skills. But he's definitely hardened by the events of Future State and is much colder and brutal, much more certainly than we're used to. I absolutely love that he's utilized Arkham Asylum as his new base of operations. I thought that was a brilliant touch. You know, he operates out of there with other members of the Resistance. And they also start to tie together some of the Future State issues here, the way they do with, you know, another title we'll get on to in a moment. But this ties rather nicely to the next Batman. Because in this issue, you know, he he teams up with the next Batman, but it's clear that he's not a fan of him. You know, Bruce will always be the only Batman for him. But they are certainly able to put hostile feelings aside and work together for the greater good, as any good hero should be able to. You know, I mentioned that it's only two issues. I'm a little sad that it's only two issues because the likes of Dark Detective and Nick's Batman are four issues long. And I think there's plenty set up here and lots to explore. You know, the issue ends with the Magistrate finding Nightwing's base and surrounding it with him and the next Batman inside. But you just know that Dick has him exactly where he wants them. The writing's really strong. You know, the pain and hurt comes through in Dick's dialogue and actions. And having Nicholas Scott on art is always a pleasure. You know, she is able to give Nightwing his graceful movement, but also lean into the brutality when necessary. 
you know, thoroughly excellent issue. Another great example of future state, I thought. I mean, I, I thought this was right up your alley, Keith, with your, your love of Nightwing. Uh, yeah, I mean, to some extent, I'm definitely now biding my time until Tom Taylor comes on Nightwing. I can't, <laughs> I can't deny that. Uh, there's with this title, you know, specifically, but yeah, I loved, I loved that, that intro, you know, with that, uh, that fight in the alley and them thinking they're setting Dick up, but, uh, that's not the case at all, you know, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, just his, just the surety of his, his combat, you know, uh, you know, when he's like, yep, you, he put take down the guy, it's a guy and a, a guy and a girl and he takes down the guy and he goes, the guy goes, I've got you. And Dick just goes, you don't, you're not the threat. <laughs> just puts him down, <laughs> you know. And, and the girl, turns, the girl and, says, yeah, no turns, tricks, yeah. just knives. And then, uh, you know, whenever he, he, the assassin, you know, the, the, the hitman is up on the roof and, and then Nightwing sort of tracks him down and the assassin goes, yeah, it's true. You are grim darker than you were before. I think someone's overcompensating for not having a bad daddy any. And uh, Dick just just throws the truncheon and goes, broken femur can be excruciating. Real, real fun to heal. I know from experience. Enjoy the rest of your evening. <laughs> so it definitely is a slightly a slightly darker Nightwing. Um, you know, I, I think, as you say, Arkham Asylum, there's still that, that love for Barbara there. But, uh, you know, it seems that that were you know you you can you can infer from this that that dick despite the fact we know from dark detective that bruce wayne is still alive dick doesn't uh yeah. you know assuming they're all in the same timeline and and dick is leading leading the resistance against uh against you know the magistrate as is always his role you know even in, in death metal he was leading the resistance against you know whatever was happening so uh yeah whenever batman's out of the way you know you know, Nightwing is able to step out of his, his shadow, and I think that was really interesting. I love the scene, you know, the the scene where he he's in the shower and and the next Batman appears, and I just I love that the physical combat there, you know, um, with Dick trying to swing the kick and him catching it, and, and you know all of that. But uh, I sort of get the feeling that they're not working side by side. That that Nightwing is definitely assuming the the mentor role here despite the fact that is a kind of Batman, you know? Yeah, I mean, I even, so I, think I even like the understanding of it, you know, where Dick is sort of like, and you already goes, I'm, well, people call me Batman. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So. I think what you said, Daryl, about it only being two issues, there's a part of me thinks DC are going to run with this every year. I think every year we'll maybe get a bit of a break and there will be, you know, a future state run because I just can't see them wrapping up everything that they've set up so far. So I think it'll maybe be their way of, you know, maybe taking the break for the writers to catch up in Batman. Well, I think maybe once a year we'll see this re reappear. I don't, I, I don't know that you would simply because it'll lose momentum. I like the idea. I think the idea would make a lot of sense, as you say, because it gives the core title uh, artists and writers a bit of a break and allows them to catch up and get ahead and so forth. But I think they're already compensating for that at the moment by making those titles monthly instead of fortnightly. So I think it would lose a bit of momentum, but an event of some kind similar to this, maybe. Yeah, or, or an occasional tales of future state yeah oh, very good. you know anthology book something like that the way they did with tales of edge of apocalypse or tales of the tales of metal or whatever it was you know so yeah that actually reminds me um just it, it's slightly off track but i really need to throw you keith tales from the dark multiverse metal holy crap as a nightwing fan that book was awesome 
I hadn't read it for for whatever reason. It just slipped down my pile, and I think it actually came out the week before the thirtieth. But it was bloody brilliant. So it was it? Oh, so that much was fun. the ones they were doing where they were going over all the old events. And yeah. Re- Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch that one at all. I yeah. loved it. I loved it. Uh, I must throw you because it's, it's very heavily Nightwing based. So, as was my pick of the week, which was Future State Nightwing number one. Nice one. So that was me. How about yourself, Paddy? What was your pick this week? Continuing the the love in for Future State, I went for Future State Catwoman number one. I will be honest. When Future State, when the the slate came out, I had no intention at all of picking up this. The reason I did was because of the love you guys seem to have for Mr. Ram V. Uh, so on that, I picked it up. Uh, it's 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 set on a train. Uh, mass vigilantes have been deemed illegal, and the magistrate has commanded a bullet train to take those they've captured to a reformation facility and fill the rest of the train with innocent children. Catwoman is hell-bent on ensuring it never reaches its destination. Armed with a magnetic suit, Assisted by her trusty band of strays and featuring her new protege, the Cheshire Cat, she must pull off the impossible. A train heist where she steals the train itself. But Selena isn't the only person aboard who has plans for this train and its most unexpected passenger. Yeah, completely took me by surprise. Thought from... I loved it. It's it's all I can say. Slightly... I, I messaged Alan as soon as I read it and asked, have you read this shit? And he said, no. And I went, message me when you do. I need to complain about something. Slap Bang in the Middle is a a, a preview of, for issue two. And it says, the Bat Cat reunion you never expected. Therefore, <laughs> giving away who was on the train. See, I although the, the placement of it is certainly suspect, Maybe it's just I, Keith and I are more conditioned to ignore adverts. But for me, if I'm halfway through a story, I'm not stopping to read an advert. I'm just flicking yeah, the page. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly it. So I, mean, so I didn't notice it didn't impact me, but I can understand why it would be annoying if I did see it. It actually, it's just made me think. I mean, is, are these two set and whereas the others are seem to be set sort of fairly... If that is indeed Bruce Wayne on the train at the end, what about the Bruce Wayne that we're seeing in Dark Detective? Well, what I'm Bruce thinking is this is going to be set after Dark Detective. Yeah, because they the future, know yeah. he's alive, so he's going to get captured at some point in Dark Detective, and then this is Catwoman springing him, so to speak, because oh, okay, cool. in Dark Detective, no one knows he's alive. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean this this again is just obviously I'm reading all the future states, so I was always going to pick it up, but it is another example of you know follow the creators because they will not let you down. You know Otto Schmidt, brilliant art in Hawkeye Freefall, mm-hmm. and you know his art's just as good here. You know Ram V, he's I reckon this year could be Ram V's year, the way last year yeah, was Tinian's year. I think, I think so. I think so. You know, so he's just anything he's on, just keep an eye out for it. And then the fact that it tied so directly to Dark Detective just elevated it for me again because Dark Detective was the standout issue so far. So mm, I uh, mean, I I didn't pick this up initially, and then you uh, you mentioned that uh, it was it was phenomenal, and I sort of immediately messaged you back, going gone. Grab me an issue of that if there's if there's one left. <laughs> yeah, auto. I don't know why I didn't pick it up. I'm not. I'm not. A, I've never followed the Catwoman solo series. You know, I'm not a massive, massive fan of the character as a solo character. Uh, but this was Auto Schmidt Ramby. I don't know what I was thinking or not thinking. Uh, yeah, great story. Uh, I love the the whole setup. You know, the whole heist and the the cycle. You know, and the the the, the bicycle she attacks the train with and the magnetic suit and 
and are just beating her way through the through the whole thing. And Onomatopoeia, that's a that's a villain that Kevin Smith created. Yeah, isn't it? that was a nice little reference there. I thought as well. Kevin Smith always had a trilogy of bat books planned, but he's only ever done two of them. Um, he was supposed to do a third one, but it's just it's never happened. So something to keep an eye out for. But Ooh. yeah, nice little deep cut that one. I thought so. Uh, but yeah, just a cracking title, and yeah, I was. I was very quickly to recommend this to people because they were enjoying Dark Detective so much. I thought this made a an excellent companion piece. Yeah, I love the wee uh, reveal about Talia at the end there. That was nice. Yeah, so the yeah, whole it's, thing. It's, it was it's all it's tied together really nicely. So it's. Uh, Is this a two parter as well? Another two parter, yeah. So, it seems to be you're only a four parter if you're a main Batman title to be honest <laughs> although there's a main Batman title yeah. a main Batman title. although there is a, uh, a Superman one that's three issues just to further confuse things so uh yeah so Patty's pick then that was Future State Catwoman number one so why don't you tell us yours then Keith to finish off the 20th of January uh for me there was really only I mean there was a lot of good stuff out this week but there was really only one choice and that's whenever you combine the living legend that is Laurie Hama and Iron Fist uh, on Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon. Uh, number one of a five-issue series by, as I say, Laurie Hammer and D Dave Wachter. So the, the, the gist of it is that someone is killing ancient weapons that power the heavenly, ancient dragons that power the heavenly cities, and only Iron Fist and the deadly weapons can stop them if they can discover who they are in time. There's zombie armies, there's mystical portals, there's dragon hearts, there's uh, some of the MU's, you know, great martial arts fighters, Taskmaster, Lady Bullseye, uh, all in, in this this fantastic story. I mean, uh, Iron Fist, as you know, he's the he's the chi powered warrior of of the MU, and he takes a he takes a trip to one of the seven cities, the Undercity, uh, which is being led by Dog Brother from uh, I think it's Brubaker's Run, um, on Iron Fist through this uh, portal that Fu has created. And the seven heavenly cities, they've begun a project which is to integrate all of their gates, allowing travel between each of the, the heavenly cities on Earth at any time, I guess, uh, which is something that, that doesn't normally happen. It can only happen once every seven years. Um, so Iron Fist, he's ready to oversee this project or whatever it is, and he's, he's thrust into this attack by undead ninja hordes uh, on the Undercity and potentially all the cities, the dragons are under attack and it's up to Iron Fist and Fu to stop them and then you know, on the side you also have Luke Cage who is babysitting Pi who is uh, who is Danny's uh, um, young protege and Gork who is a dragon uh, back in New York City so Luke Cage is having a wee bit of fun babysitting as well so I mean Laurie Hama, Laurie Hama started out as an artist great artist uh, but eventually uh, he moved to to writing and as as you know and as Roddy certainly knows he made his reputation with the original Marvel G.I. Joe comic and he continues to be the granddaddy of, of G.I. Joe comics he's well known for for smart uh, you know action-packed stories with great characters and you see all of that here you know and You'll be happy to hear, Alan, that, that Hama leans on the, the worlds that were originally established by Matt Fraction and Ed Brubaker and uh, Carrie Andrews, you know, and, and, and start moves those forward, you know. So it's there's a wee, there's a touch of the familiar in this, you know. So, I mean, the art 
is really solid. It's kind of gritty. It, it's nearly it's nearly a wee bit old school actually. It's in some ways uh, a very sort of nearly early eighties sort of style. There, the colours are are a wee bit well, a wee bit muted, I guess. But this is overall just fantastically written, well drawn action comic. You know, it just the story like Iron Fist that moves like lightning and but it does that without without leaving any of the story behind and it feels like it covers a lot of ground but it still feels like a like a real fun classic marvel comic you know in the in the mighty marvel style it's i don't know there's there's some great the story it's just the story's just starting but there's some some fantastic nods to the past and there's a big threat coming um so just a, a fantastic start five issue series it's clean and efficient and exciting and entertaining. It's action. Um, just, re- I love, I love Iron Fist. He's one of my top characters, and this, I think, this is just going to be a great, uh, a great uh, showcase for him. And there's some speculation. Uh, I say speculation because I think it's all in bleeding cool uh, that this series is going to have some big impacts on this corner of the Marvel universe, and that we might even see a new Iron Fist in the Marvel universe before the end of this series so i don't know if that's true i don't know what that means but oh i really really enjoyed this really enjoyed this i immediately re- on reading it messaged uh messaged roddy sent him a picture of the front cover with larry hammer's name circled as a writer <laughs> and, uh, and the, the response was appropriate so uh, i hope he picked this up because uh, this is it's just great great stuff uh, either of you on it well no. it's good to hear it's... such positive stuff about it because i've got a copy for myself uh, but I haven't tucked into it yet. But the reason I picked up the the issue that I did that you'll enjoy is because it was a variant cover that David Aja did, and it's oh. it's it's a nice sweet cover. You know, I picked it up mostly for the cover. I was always going to give it a read, but uh, it's good mm-hmm. to hear such positive things about it. There's some uh, some David Aja art just on the uh, on the title page just inside. Uh, there's a that there's might a be picture. the exact picture from the main cover. The main cover I have is like really white, and it's him sort of kicking through the air like that so yeah i mean and there's some great there's some great characters stuff. i you can't see an iron fist book without parman that's sacrilege you can't see a parman book without iron fist so it's great to see luke cage in here even if he is in a babysitting role <laughs> babysitting uh the baby iron fist and the baby dragon uh back in new york as i say lady bullseye is in here taskmaster's in here so there's there's some fa- fantastic action-packed combat scenes iron fist kicking the head off as of a an undead horse you know that's great it's good stuff you know playing all the greatest hits by the sound of it mm, something like it but uh yeah larry hammer fantastic never a bad thing so yeah case pick of the week then then for the 20th that was iron fist heart of the dragon number one which leaves us just one last week to uh go through which was the most recent release week bringing us right up to date and this is the 27th of january so another big week here again for me uh but relatively evenly split uh, I had 28 titles in total, which included 11 DC, 6 Marvel, and 11 Indie. How is that an even split? Because the Indie and DC <laughs> are the exact same. <laughs> because the way we have it on our document, it goes 11, 6, 11. That's just beautiful symmetry. Ah, yeah, okay. Uh, how about yourself, Paddy? <laughs> I had 11, uh, 2 DC, 5 Marvel, 3 Indie, and a trade paperback. Excellent. Ooh. And yourself, Keith? Uh, I had 24 titles. A really even split. 
five DC, <laughs> ten Marvel, and nine indie. I'm seeing uh, no <laughs> symmetry there whatsoever. Yeah, and actually, sorry, just to just to nip back, I mentioned last week. I mentioned on the twentieth, I had a trade paperback, which was the trade paperback of IDW's Mountainhead, which you were kind enough to get for me. Bloody fantastic! Enjoy that it. was so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, uh, highly recommend picking that up. Great cross between I don't know. There's there's elements of the thing in there. Uh, you know that the body horror of the thing and the there's so we bit Middle Earth and some yeah. or Middle West sorry and the Cthulhu the type stuff Cthulhu in there Cthulhu as well. stuff in there yeah absolutely so thanks for that you you guys were recommending you and Roddy I think were recommending it all the way through and uh, yeah very very good very good indeed excellent excellent always sorry. always nice to hear a recommendation goes down well yeah so uh so yeah so from the the 27th i mean there was again the future state stuff continued and there was some really good stuff amongst it dark detective continued to be really strong we obviously went into good detail there on issue one but issue two is is just as enjoyable uh there was a couple that really surprised me actually that were very close to being pick of the week material future state aquaman that came out of absolutely nowhere, but was thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant. Who's on that? So it's uh, by Brandon Thomas and Daniel Sampier. So this is one of the, it's a two issuer just, and it's a four dollar title. So there's no backup story, but it's to do with like a new Aquaman called Jackson Hyde, and uh, he has to mentor Arthur Curry's daughter, and uh, it, it's just a really rollicking adventure. I was really surprised by it. Um, really great art through it as well. Uh, it's definitely the biggest surprise of Future State for me so far. It was really close to being my pick of the week. Uh, also, Superman vs. Imperious Lex was interesting. It's all about how Lex Luthor goes to the other end of the galaxy and basically takes over an entire planet far, far away from Superman. He calls it Lexor. And <laughs> in this Future State, there's this thing, uh, the United Planets, and he now wants to join the United Planets, but there's obviously ulterior motives there. But it's interesting because there's a really good showdown in it between Lex and Superman, where Lex is like, I even went to the other end of the galaxy and I still can't get away from you sort of thing. And yeah. the people on this planet love Lex because he creates jobs for them. He's created an ecosystem for them, and they actually see Superman as the villain on this planet. So it's it was a really really good issue as well. It's uh, Mark Russell on writing and Steve Pooh on uh, on art duties. Oh, so it was it was a really good one as well. Uh, I know obviously you have your customary mention of Philip Kennedy Johnson's best. Yeah, well, I mean Philip Kennedy Johnson uh, has been doing fantastic work over the last year on uh, last. The Last God, uh, book uh, book one of this, this the Felspire Chronicles, I can't, or something like that, or the Felspire, something like that, subtitled. Anyway, this is the last episode of this series, the last issue of this series, and it's just been an epic, world-spanning, uh, dark, dark fantasy action thing. You know, it's just, it's been great. The world building that he's done in the, the world of of Cain and Un and uh, you know the creation myths and and the the, the heroes and just this uh, narrative in, in in two different parts, you know, set in one in the past and one in the future, you know, featuring the same or similar characters. It's it's great stuff. It really is great stuff. And uh, you know, I'm yeah, I'm on this. You know, for whenever it comes back, I I, I tweeted him and said, man, listen, great great job. And he was like, yeah, well, hopefully hopefully there's more yet to come. Uh, definitely, a, definitely a guy. I think uh, once uh, you you get round to reading it, Alan, we should uh, we should maybe see if we can uh, have a chat too. 
Yeah, that can be arranged. This this will be my Conan of this year. You know, yeah. the one I come to late. Um, Marvel wise, there wasn't an awful lot stood out for me other than my pick of the week. Spoiler alert. Uh, which is Marvel this week, but I see you have your usual raft of honourable mentions. Yeah, I mean, this was a very uh, a very X-heavy week for me with regard to honourable mentions. I mentioned following my initial pick there for the end of uh, December that uh, Wolverine 9 was even better than Wolverine 8, and it was. Uh, Wolverine finds himself in the most awesome... Uh, villain auction uh, in Madripoor and things just go from bad to worse uh, very very good X-Men was great we've got a classic X-Men story featuring the Shi'ar and uh, and um, the, the, the Magistrix uh, the Regent has been kidnapped and uh, Storm Cyclops and, and Jean Grey go and uh, go and see if they can they can get her back uh, and there's a yeah, there's a bit of a, a cannonball and sunspot story in there. They currently live on on, on the Shi'ar homeworld, um, Chandelar, I think it's called. And Excalibur is just Excalibur's really coming into its own under Teeny Howard now. Now we're free of the X Sword stuff. That, that that's really coming into its own. Uh, you know, Excalibur has that sort of slightly British, slightly magic sort of twist to it. This one was very focused on. On Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, and she's doing some dimension hopping, uh, following X of Swords. But it was Betsy Braddock teaming up with Quanon. Quanon, of course, is the character who who Betsy Braddock she occupied her body for so many years as Psylocke. Uh, so it's it's really fantastic stuff. Um, Amazing Spider-Man fifty-eight was a wee bit more back to the way things, you know, post Last Remains. Uh, there was a bit of a Mister Negative story. Uh, going on there but it, still spider-man is really suffering from uh you know the the i guess the the, the post-trauma of of last remains and and that hasn't gone away you know and fantastic 428 was great uh it was the end of an arc again you know this is this is going to make this arc's going to make a great trade the forever gate saga um as the fantastic four experience their over and over their final deaths uh some really interesting stuff happening in fantastic four uh under dan slot just it's really becoming the the first family um i guess flagship book that it should be for marvel cool and then indie wise i see it's our our good friend james tinning of course honorable mentions all over the place here <laughs> sick tick 14 or something is killing the children 14 and department of truth number five continuing to be strong stuff but not hitting pick of the week material for you patty what's going on with department of truth Nothing. I absolutely loved it. I just didn't want to pick James <laughs> Tinian again. <laughs> that, uh, that there's something is killing the children was absolutely heartbreaking. There's that scene when the mother's not wanting to leave her, her daughter's corpse, you know, and just absolutely fantastic. And again, Department of Truth, we all know how big of a fan I am. Just another brilliant issue is Cole on the right team, is he? Yeah. I'm a wee bit annoyed because I think the next couple of issues are going to have guest artists, so we're not going to have Martin Simmons' beautiful artwork in it for for a while. But mm. I would say that that art is so stylized that there's if there's a different artist, it's probably for a reason, and um, it's possibly a story reason. Oh, you know, uh, but yeah, that definitely that is he on the right side? Yep. you know, was was fantastic, uh, and we're finding out a wee bit more about Black Hat and who Black Hat are and. 
just uh, the whole the nature of the truth. Uh, Something is killing the children. One of my favorite issues of that. Uh, yep. Finding out a wee bit more about the the cuddly toy that uh, Erica carries about with her and what exactly it is and what it means. Great stuff. And we get to see her be absolutely kick ass and kill about four monsters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And then uh, a little bit of love I see for June as well, number four. Yeah, I mean, I can't say too much about it. It's it's awesome. It it really is. It's a, a prelude to uh, to the, the the June book. I don't know if that's a book that I'll ever go back and read again, but I'm obviously really looking forward to uh, to Denny Villeneuve's uh, movie adaption. Uh, so yeah, it's just yeah, just great. It looks good. It reads well. Can't complain. Can't complain. Excellent. So. Well, then we'll just finish off then with our picks of the week then for this week. So as I said, I had a Marvel pick as my pick of the week. I've been really good this uh, this month, I have to say. A couple of Marvel, a couple of DC, a couple of indie. But my second mention of Zdarsky, once again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my second Marvel pick is another Marvel Chip Zdarsky joint. So for me, the best issue this week, and this issue possibly might be my favorite of the whole episode as we talk here of the last five weeks, so this was Daredevil number 26. Uh, this is written by Chip Zdarsky. Uh, the cover was Marco Cicchetto, but the interior artist on this is actually Mike Hawthorne. So it's Chip again. Well, it's always him, Tom Taylor, Tom came with me. But there's just so, such an abundance of great writers and artists in the moment in the comics industry. You know, we've highlighted Daredevil loads of times before. And, and sometimes, again, I'm a little wary of just picking the same thing again. But the reason I picked it this week and the reason I loved it so much is this is a picture-perfect example of how to integrate an ongoing title into an event. You know, so, and while Matt may be in prison for manslaughter, there's no hiding from the Keenan Black. So, with this issue, it's split into multiple narratives. So, Matt's adjusting to life in prison and is seeing an awful lot of unrest in prison from his fellow inmates because he's still protecting his identity. Electra is continuing to patrol the streets of New York as Daredevil. You know, she's protecting Hell's Kitchen in Matt's absence uh, to the best of her abilities, but she's even reining in her usual bloodlust. And at the same time, Wilson Fisk attends a mayoral function with Typhoid Mary in tow. So the status quo is very well established, but then those pesky symbiotes turn up. <laughs> this is easily the most horror-based issue of Zdarsky's run so far, and it's clear he's having a lot of fun playing in Donny Cates and Rand Stegman's playground. You know, the pace ramps up so quickly from about halfway through the issue and then the panic and immediate need for action are brilliantly realized. You know, Zdarsky even explores the idea of how Matt senses symbiotes, you know, focusing on what they sound and smell like. You know, it's an idea I don't think I've seen explored in great depth before anyway. Mm -hmm. But what's so great about it is it, it just effortlessly seeps into Keenan Black. You know, Zdarsky never jeopardizes the fantastic work he's done in crafting Murdoch's world in the last two years. This genuinely feels like a natural story progression and it even allows Chip to, to highlight Matt's doubts and desires given the vulnerable state he is, given, you know, the fact he's in prison. You know, at the end, you know, the symbiote even asks Matt to, Matt to essentially let him in, you know, and he will be better as a result. You know, Electra's progressing really well as well. She's saving this uh, child during the chaos and determined to live up to the Daredevil mantle she inherits. The creature design in this issue is brilliant, you know, from Typhoid Mary's transformation to the mother of the small child, Electra's fighting so hard to save. And then there's that last page. For me, the Keenan Black tie-ins have been hit and miss so far, but this is easily head and shoulders above any other tie-in. 
but it's also a great jumping on point if you wanted to be a new reader for daredevil because you can get caught up on the current status quo you can see how it's affected by keenan black and then follow matt's story afterwards so just an absolute textbook example of how to not jeopardize an ongoing book for the sake of an event thoroughly excellent and for me as i said before this is my title of the month yeah i mean i i was worried for that reason i thought oh is this going to disrupt chips flow here you know as can very often happen with with big events you know and and then you know the the studio or the you know the the publishing house says okay you need to cross over into this and that's you know it's but i think it it's feels to me like chip and and donnie sat down and had a wee bit of a yarn mm-hmm. imagine um, that communication yeah, yeah i know and it's uh <laughs> just yeah it works it works really well really enjoyed it's it just uh, full of kick-ass moments you know like the scene where like the symbiote mother is trying to get to her daughter and Electra's protecting her and then she ends up driving a car into her and the, the the creature design is just brilliant and it's like that page where typhoid mary squares up to electra daredevil is just it's just brilliant um and then yeah that scene at the end and, and i love the bravery sometimes people see this as lazy in a way you know we, we talked about it before sometimes with art in a comic book whether it's repeating things or skipping a page or whatever but there's an entire page here that is black and it's just dialogue when the symbiote's taken over matt and it's matt saying who are you i am null it is time what what's happening to me we are bonding why to be better don't you want to be better i do i try god help me i try then hear me hear this voice inside you the way i hear your heart you are a man without fear i am pure power as one then you flip the page and it's we are unstoppable yeah <laughs> just brilliantly done like i i know we blow smoke up chips to ass all the time but like the guy's just getting better and better for me uh, uh, I, uh yeah. a brilliant issue fantastic yeah i mean and i wonder it makes me wonder are we going to see uh are we going to see the devil in black up against uh up against daredevil electra possibly possibly you might even have like a, a head-on collision between wilson fisk and daredevil as well could be another one. Oh, interesting yeah, you know this yeah. book has uh, always been about you know that that's what the other reason i've enjoyed zadarsky's run so much as well because as much as it's been a matt story it's been a wilson fisk story as well mm-hmm. so those two are always button heads so but yeah if, if you hadn't read any daredevil before and you were only reading keenan black for example and you got this as a tie-in there's no way you wouldn't want to jump on daredevil after this you know it's just so well written so well paced and yeah, every issue goes straight to the top of the pile when Daredevil comes out for me. Is the mm-hmm. next Daredevil a King and Black tie-in yep. as well? Yeah, yep. so 27 uh, is a tie-in as well. And then I believe with 28, we're back to normal. Obviously, there'll be fallout from it, but yep. it's but it's not, strictly speaking, a uh, King and Black tie-in. I wonder if this is how Matt will escape prison. I don't think, but Matt doesn't want to escape prison. That's yeah. the thing. That's what's so interesting about this title. It's not like he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. I get sent to jail and is like, I need to get back out to protect people. Like he, he wants to serve yeah. his time. He he needs to, you know, for his own sanity. So yeah, I I, I don't know if they're going to have the next two years of Matt being in prison and Electra being Daredevil. I don't know, but he, he doesn't want, he's not looking for a way out, you know, and that's what's really interesting about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so my pick of the week, Daredevil 26, the Keenan Black tie-in. What about yourself, Paddy? What is your pick of this week? Yeah, as I said, it very easily could have been Something's Killing the Children or it could have been Department of Truth. But I went for two, volume one, the first course. Uh, 
Yeah, this is, I kind of got into Chew quite recently, kind of par-read through it. Uh, absolutely loved it. So whenever, uh, I think at the time, these were coming out in a single issue, so I knew I was going to trade read it, and then I had to listen to your interview with, it was John Lehman, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good, so that sold me on it. But yeah, we'll pick up here with Tony's sister, Saffron. And I was a bit worried is because I know she didn't feature in the original series, but kind of by the end of this arc, you understand why that is. Uh, but yeah, I think Alan and I heard you say that the writer had described it as Better Call Saul. It's Better Call Saul to Breaking Bad. Yeah, to choose you, CHEWs, yeah, Breaking Bad. Yeah. You can kind of see how that is. You know, we see how, you know, Tony became partners with, uh, what's his name? Colby. Colby. Uh, it, it, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. I, the art is similar yet different because I know it's a different artist. It was Rob Gilroy on Choose CHEW, and this one we have Don Boltwood. You, you can kind of see the similarities. The only thing that concerned me about this was I don't know if there's enough memorable, memorable characters as there was in Chew. You know, kind of outside Saffron and her partner, Eddie Malloy. I can't really... Nobody else jumped out, other, of course, than the grandfather, Ung, who, you know, when they kind of dip into his backstory, I would absolutely love... Because I know the plan of Chew is they want to expand that universe. If they want to go back to his gangster days, I'm all for it. I'm in. <laughs> uh, I also just realized when I picked it up there to flick through it that there's actually a post credit sequence. So that looks like where it's going to set up book two, Drunk History. But yeah, this is this is fantastic, Keith. Get Chew finished and get straight on this. So that's why I went for... For two, volume one, the first course. No, Lee, well, I appreciate you not uh, not going too deep on that, Paddy, because yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm 40 issues into 60 issues of of uh, of Chew, thanks to Alan's uh, smorgasbord editions. Uh, of which volume three absolute... comes this week. Yes. Uh, so I am really looking forward to finishing that off, and whenever I do, I'll get straight on. I'll get straight on Chew, and uh, that that interview was fantastic to, to do. It really was good fun. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, cracking guy to chat to, so he was. So, um, yeah, so that was Paddy's pick then, which was Chew Trip Paperback Volume 1. So we come to the very last review of it all, and that is yourself, Keith. You are going to make it a clean sweep with all your five choices. And I, I only realized that uh, that myself. It's not very often that that happens. Yeah, five, five Marvel choices over five weeks, but what can I say, you know? And I got to say, same as yourself, Alan, this would probably be my book of the book of the month if we were doing such a thing, uh, and I'm looking at Strange Academy number seven by Scotty Young and Humberto Ramos. So this is the the end of the first arc, and it ends it ends in loss, and it very much sort of teeters, I would say, in, in tragedy. Um, there. It's 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 triage for Doctor Strange. Who can he save? Who can he not save? Uh, you know, how many dig? How many graves is he going to be digging? Uh, and there's a there's a huge secret revealed about the academy. It's it's the aftermath of uh, the the students' confrontation with the Hollow, and there's a lot of a lot of pain to go around. Um, Emily Bright awakens from her 
her brush with death and and finds that you know jesus yeah some some sometimes they don't come back i guess um this is this was just uh, it was just absolutely this this had me near tears i have to say this this book i mean this is this is one been on for six issues of I've enjoyed it, uh, you know. I enjoy Scotty Young and Humberto Ramos and and Edgar Delgado's colors are, are phenomenal. But you know, so what happened? The Hollow kidnapped Calvin and Emily, and she gathered their, the classmates to 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 launch a, a rescue, you know, in the swamp in the the bayou, and they were outnumbered. They were they were absolutely over outpowered, and the Hollow killed Doyle Dormammu, and Emily lashed out. But in lashing out, she absorbed too much magic in the process and putting her at death's door. And then the teachers arrived and, uh, you know, put paid to the bad guys. But, you know, that damage is done. So Emily wakes up in this issue in the infirmary. She's shocked and she's, uh, you know, despairing at the death of Doyle. His body's nearby. She, he, had a, he had this, like, really nerdy crush on her. And she was in the process of, I guess, dealing with it or recognizing it whenever... They, they were ambushed by the hollow and so there's a, some of this is, is told in flashback and we see Doctor Strange's focus on I guess trying to save Emily over and above Doyle because Doyle is Dormammu's son and saving Doyle was, is going to involve Dormammu's help and Doctor Strange for Doctor Strange that's not something that's easy to, to come by so you know he goes to he goes to Hogoth instead, and you know as in the hoary hosts of Hogoth, one of the one of the, the uh, one of the Vishanti, one of the, the great gods of magic, and in a oh in a, a double page spread that a series of pages that to me is just with Humberto Ramo. I think I think he is just at the top of his game, like in this book. It's on, but I mean, I mean I know you love Humberto Ramos as well, Alan, uh, but. I don't know if you're reading this book, but Jesus, this is just oh, I'm fantastic stuff. You oh, know? I'm on this. Uh, those pages, and you know, we learn the secret of of this of the Strange Academy, which is, you know, that that Hogarth and the Vishanti granted granted Doctor Strange the leave to to open that the school because magic, as we know, always has a cost, and the deal was that. That that Hogarth was would absorb that cost rather than the students, but that that debt is going to have to be paid. Um, so yeah, it's just it was it's it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, let me see, let me get uh, get back to some notes here. Uh, so I mean, you know what you know what Scotty Young is like. You've you've read Middle West. We've all read Middle West, and you know after after all of those issues in Middle West, you wonder how you can still yeah gut punchy you know what i mean emotionally gut punchy but he does it he absolutely does it um and i think patty and i know one of the one of the maybe difficult things about this book that i think we talked about before is the ensemble cast yeah uh you know keeping an eye on all of those keeping an eye on all those cast members you know and and that and i think with this because this really focuses in on emily and on doyle you know, and on Zelma and on, on Doctor Strange, I think there's there's something to be said for that, that focus, you know, and what it does to the story. You know, she awakens, she's in the infirmary under Zelma's watchful eyes. The, the reality of her situation becomes clear. The death of Doyle, 
all of that comes you know is sitting on her and she lashes out at anything within striking distance at being Zelma at being Doctor Strange and she learns of the length Strange went to save her and, and why the same couldn't be done for Doyle um, I mean a bunch of the books that I've chosen this month are emotional roller coasters, Spider-Man you know a bunch of them but this was this was I don't know what you guys thought I thought this was incredibly emotionally charged yeah, for uh, me, just, this is yeah. the, the best issue of Strange Academy there's been. It's taken yep. the book to a whole new level for me. 100%. You know, it went from being a oh, kind of a fun, you know, kids yeah. at school, we know magic, to something darker and something just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, oh, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, what did you reckon, Alan? Well, you just got to love the fact that uh, Scotty Young has such playful sort of art covers that he does, but there's... Definitely a, hit, a tinge of darkness with that man, you know, with uh, Middle West, we saw it as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's always interesting when a book takes a turn like this, I think, because you might have lost a reader or two before now because, as Patty says, it was maybe a bit more of a, I don't want to say a cutesy book, but it was sort of like a Harry Potter in the, the Marvel Universe sort of book. And then you stick with it and then it gets to this sort of this sort of point. You're just like, you're you're rewarding the readers almost. Um, you mentioned Humberto Ramos there as well. I'm just glad to see, and I could be wrong on this, but this is just my impression. With Humberto Ramos, I've always viewed him as a stand-in artist. Like he seemed to be mm-hmm. the guy that you called on Spider-Man when the main artist let you down. It's great mm-hmm. to see a book that is all him from the start, mm-hmm. and his art shines as a result. So it's yeah, uh, I mean it's perfectly paired with with Scotty Young as well, and as as writing, you know, it's. Uh, it's just this book is just loads of heart and and uh, I guess just it's really I don't know it's magic, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know and it's and I tell you you know despite you know the, the you see the power of that that last scene in uh, King and Black uh, when we were talking about that I think the last scene in this hit me harder, you know the just that that moment when when she she kisses Doyle's corpse and reignites his fire i just i thought wow that was just there was something about it that just got me like yep. it was it was so good it was it really was one of the one of the, the nicest moments one of the, the most impactful moments i think i've read in comics this year uh so yeah highly recommend this book and again we're probably looking at what a, a trade and, and an issue maybe or something you know? yeah so, i think it takes a break after after this for a wee while so this could be the first trade, could it? Yeah, this, you would think art, so. so. You would think so. Yeah, so, you know, from the writing to the art, just uh, if you're not reading this book, pick up the trade, do yourself a favour. This is this is something really, really, I think, really special. Yeah, big time. I mean, it's, uh, as you say, it's ones we've been on pretty much from the start. And, and it's great to see Scotty Young was so well-known for his art style, but he's just, he's a hell of a writer, and he's, he's really proven that title after title at the moment. So... Yeah, case pick then of the week, which finishes us off for January 27th, Strange Academy. So yeah, that is five weeks of comics all wrapped up in one nice little package with a nice little bow. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we are up to date, I suppose, we can actually go back to our regularly scheduled programming of what are we looking forward to this new comic book day? So uh, <laughs> yeah, we always pick three choices that are on the pull list for this week that we're looking forward to most. I mean, the three that come to my mind, I'm again going to be completely diplomatic here. One DC, one Marvel, one Indie. The DC I'm looking forward to most is Hellblazer Rise and Fall, number three. So this is number three of three of Tom Taylor and Derek Robertson's Black Label Hellblazer series. 
The Marvel title I'm looking forward to most is Venom 33, Keenan Black. So Donny Cates, Iban Coelho. And this is, I believe, the last Keenan Black tie-in. After this, it'll be Keenan Black wrap-up, I think. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And then the one that I'm really looking forward to indie-wise, and this might actually be the one I'm looking forward to most, is a uh, title from Image Comics called Deep Beyond. This is number one of 12. And again, this is a, a creator that I've really enjoyed their work recently, Mirka Andolfo. Uh, who is actually writing as opposed to drawing and the artist is Andrea Bricardo and just give you a little blurb on this because you might not know it as well as the other the other titles I mentioned so in an underpopulated future earth devastated by the dark consequences of the millennium bug the survival of mankind and maybe of the planet itself is handled by a small number of people talented scientists who despite the adverse situation and the stupid feuds that continue to divide the small number of people still alive try to understand and study what is hidden in the depths of the abyss something mysterious and dangerous which could eventually cause an even worse and more destructive catastrophe the 100 meets low with a hint of death stranding in the brand new sci-fi thriller series from Mirko Andolfo so I think that sounds awesome so those would be my three picks uh, what about yourself Paddy what's on your pull this week Strange Academy 8, really just to see where we kind of left things off. Uh, I think it's set up. Uh, Strange Academy's out this week, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's the last one. It's, yeah. uh, it's actually it that's the last one, then it's taken a break for a while. Strange Academy 8, uh, Future State Harley Quinn number two. Again, number one was a, a massive surprise. Absolutely a, loved a delight. it. And a little indie one called The Maniac of New York which sounds absolutely yeah. fantastic. I think the, the general story is there's a, a serial killer loose in New York and the official response is, deal with it. Yep, that's so, the cost of living here. That was really, uh, really looking forward to it. That was previewed ages ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, ago, yeah. it was one that I'd picked. It was uh, previewed yeah. back in December. So I know it seems like a long time ago. Oh yeah, right enough. Okay. And how about yourself, Keith? What are you looking forward to most this week? Well, there's a lot of really good future state stuff on there that I'm I'm really looking forward to because, as I say, that's as we've talked about, that's going really strongly. But there's there's a, a couple of Marvels and, a, and an indie that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Cy Spurrier's uh, King and Black one shot, uh, King and Black 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 Knight. Knoll's ferocious assault upon Earth has begun, and Dane Whitman, Avenger hero and wielder of the mighty Ebony Blade as the Black Knight, takes up sword and shield to defend against the unstoppable onslaught. Uh, though the Blade grants Dane incredible power, so, so too does it consume him with a lust for violence and destruction. As the endless hordes of symbiotic dragons uh, darken the skies of Shanghai, will the Black Knight overcome the growing evil within himself to join Arrow and Swordmaster in saving the city? And what secret will the battle against Null reveal about Dane's past? So, Cy Spurrier, Hezo says, and that's leading into Cy Spurrier's uh, Black Knight miniseries, uh, Curse of the Ebony Blade. So, really looking forward to that. I am, amongst many things, looking forward to, I think it's the final issue of Warhammer 40k, Marnius Calgar, isn't it? That's issue four of that. So, that has been uh, really good. The making of a space marine. Young Marnius Calgar has passed the space marine aspirant testing. But that means the real, real trial is only just beginning. As Marnius undergoes a rigorous training, excruciating organ implantation and strenuous physical augmentation, he will have to prove that against all is he has was at Tex. Uh, and in the 41st millennium, the assault on Calgary Estates reaches a deadly climax, and that's Kieran Gillen and Jason Burroughs. Uh, and then the indie I'm really looking forward to is Redemption Number 1 by uh, AWA. 
Um, so in the dusty desert town of Redemption, survived the, it survived the apocalypse, but is hanging on by a thread. A despot rules the town with an iron fist and controls its most, pre- its most precious resource, water. When that strong man marks her, her mother for death, young Rose Obregon uh, ventures into the perilous wasteland to seek the help of a legendary gunslinger, Cat Tanner, only to discover that the so-called butcher is long retired and living in solitude, far from what's left of the world, and preferring to keep it that way. When Rose arrives on Tanner's doorstep, the gunman hot in her trail, the butcher has the choice to make, sit in the sidelines or pick up her guns and do what's best. That's by uh, Krista Faust, who I'm not so familiar with, but might do data on uh, art and cover art, so... Really looking forward to that one as well. As you know, I'm a big fan of a wee Western and a wee post-apocalyptic Western for that. Yeah, and that's the uh, the creative team that did Bad Mother, Ride Around Artist. So uh, AWA continuing to put teams together. So yeah, tons to look forward to this week. So that is going to do it for us. That has brought us bang up to date. We will try to get back to our regularly scheduled program of weekly. Uh, and therefore we can sort of deep dive into a few more titles. But uh, thank you very much as always, gentlemen. That was a lot of fun. That is uh, all of January. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> Take it easy. Night, night. Bye. Bye. Bye.